All right, you all go to withoutyourhead.com. I'll come over there and put my boot up in your ass. Decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm. And we were joined by, uh, I, I was going to say local, but I guess that would depend where, where you're listening. Uh, Boston <laughs> filmmaker uh, Matthew Fisher here from Boombastic Films. Welcome. Hey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. I've met you several times at different, I'm like a movie set, I think at Coolidge Theater, yeah. and maybe things before I even knew who you were. Hey, which you never know the people until you meet them. <laughs> true. Very true. Very true. So I say Boombastic Films. Uh, when did Boombastic Films start? And is there any uh, is there any reason for the name? Uh, no, Boombastic Films started like in the early 2000s, roughly like 2003, 2004. Um, um, we just a, a group of friends. We just you know decided that now you through the trauma way of thinking, you know that we could. You know, we could make our own films. You know, we were kind of tired of what we were seeing and being released in theaters and such. So we said, you know what, why don't we just make our own? And as far as Boombastic goes, it was just it was just a fun name that stuck, you know what I mean? It, uh, it, some people think that it came from uh, the Shaggy song. Right. Which the Shaggy, we knew about the Shaggy song, of course, but it's more of like a reference to uh, Rodney Dangerfield with the Dr. Vinny Boombots. <laughs> of which I'm a big fan of, yeah. Uh, so, what is your background uh, when you get? So, you guys all get together, a group of friends, to start making movies. Did you have any background in uh, in filmmaking, or is this something you've kind of learned uh, no, just, while making yeah. movies? 
yeah, I just kind of learned. I never went to film school. When I when I decided like that, if making films is something that I wanted to do. I kind of reached out. That was the age of like the MySpace and stuff, where you know the the, the filmmakers that you can appreciate are more you know accessible. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I hit up a lot of them, and you know I asked them what what do you think the better thing to do is, and they said they all. I heard the majority of them just said, you know, if you're gonna go to film school take the money that you would spend on film school and make your first film and that hands-on experience, you'll learn everything you need to know because when you're starting out, you're wearing a lot of hats. So you're not all, you're not just specializing, you know, in one certain thing. Um, you're, you know, you've you got to play almost every role to a degree on set. So it's better. And I feel it's better to do that anyways. Like when I, when people ask me, what they should do, I usually say, you know, just try and get on a set and work your way around and learn a little bit of everything and, you know, start yeah. with your friend, you know, start making small short films with your friends on the weekend and see what it takes to to, to direct the person because it's, you know, when you're first getting into it, you know, you got, you got like a cold feet a little bit where, you, you know, you know, you're telling somebody what to do and stuff and mm-hmm. um, they got to trust you and there's a whole element uh, that, you got to learn to like deal with people and, you know, to deal with, you know, uh, equipment and stuff like that. So I think your best bet is just to kind of gather uh, like what we did on the weekends and write something, shoot it, edit it, put music to it, see how it looks, see what mistakes you made doing it. And then the next time fix those mistakes, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a big theme of uh, B documentary too. It seemed Um, most of the people involved had that same advice was, uh, you know, like if you see someone ask how to make your movie, uh, everyone just basically said, go make it. Except for Joe Bob Briggs. You see, he said the opposite. He said, go to film school and and, and learn yeah. something specific. Which, uh, nothing but respect for Joe Bob. And he's, he's right. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my take on film school is like, film school's good more for the connections you make there. And you get, you know, you're around more like-minded people that want to make films. So that side of it's good. But like, with the internet age and Facebook and all that, you can reach out and find communities of people that, you know, want to make films as well. So mm-hmm. just tap into that, you know, but I mean, if you've got the money to do it, then it ain't going to hurt. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And uh, I love Joe Bob too, but I uh, also do think he's coming from a different era where, he is, yeah. you know, it's a lot different from today. And I don't think you could ever understand it unless you were really in, you know, like a young guy around, you know, this era. Yeah, he comes from an era of film. And, you know, nowadays they're there. No, nobody really shoots on even Hollywood films aren't really shot on film anymore. And if if you were to have to go through all the motions of, you know, printing up the film and cutting it manually and stuff, I think a lot less people would be able to follow through. You know what I mean? It'd be so much mm-hmm. more difficult than the digital age. So I think in that so he's he's probably coming from that sense of it. Yeah. Have you ever worked with actual film? Because I talked to a lot of independent uh, movie makers, and a lot of them, not a lot, but I've I've talked to several who always tell me that the story like, oh, well, I really want to make a movie on film, and uh, from my understanding, it's probably a really bad idea. It's going to cost a lot of money, and it's not you know, like you said, you, you could edit much easier on digital. Yeah, you got, it's got to be handled appropriately, too, or you could blow all the footage you got, you know. And I've never personally shot on film. 
I think every filmmaker of the new age has a dream and it would love to work on film. I mean, I have a 16 millimeter camera that I got my hands on, but I, I haven't uh -huh. shot anything with it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot easier the digital route where you just shoot it, put it on your laptop or whatever and cut it up mm -hmm. it, instead of shooting it and then sending it out to get, you know, print it up and then get it back. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, if you listen, read like a lot of books and stuff from back in the day, you'd always hear about weird situations where like somebody mishandled the film print and then they just lost all that footage and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, you know, there, there's always going to be headaches and hassles with making film or anything really. And I think um, we, so we're luckier to have this digital age where you, we don't get to worry. I mean, it's hard enough, you know what I mean? You don't get to worry about like, once you get it there, like losing it, which you can still lose it on a hard drive or something. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the film aspect, you know, I think if, if, if people were still shooting on film, there'd be like a lot less filmmakers out there making films, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I actually just finished Groundhog before the interview, which I know I probably should watch it uh, earlier, but it was cool because it's fresh in my mind. And I, yeah. uh, I hate to say it's pleasantly surprised because that's like, maybe I wasn't expecting it to be good, but I really dug it. It was uh <laughs> It's very well, funny. You. It's got great lines, a lot of uh, cool uh, homages to, to to horror movies, and it was just really mm -hmm. a good a good fun movie. Yeah, that was written by uh, Dave McDonough. He's another filmmaker under Boombastic Films. That's another thing I tell people when they go to make their first film. You know, picks. You know, a lot of people fresh out the gate go attempt to make like some dramatic film or some epic, like make Forrest Gump or something, and it's like. Make something that if there's mistakes in the film, which there will be, it doesn't destroy the whole film for the for the audience. You know what I mean? Right. And um, and Dave's got a good style. I think he's gonna really he's got his finger on the pulse of like uh, like a, there's a certain type of comedy that he does, and he's a big horror fan. So mm -hmm. all the the horror, you know, the gore was there in the comedy. I'm proud of that film. Um, there's possible a sequel coming. It's been getting a lot of oh, good nice. reviews lately, which is nice. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, honestly, not this year because I really dug it. I thought it was very fun. And uh, David's going to be on next week to uh, talk more cool. about the movie. So, um, how how did you uh, how did you get in touch with how did you and David start working together? Uh, me and Dave met each other in like 2014, I think it was. He was uh, he, through Facebook. He was a dude that was kind of following the films, and I was getting ready to shoot a, a, a short film called Insomniac. And he hit me up and we were looking for investors at the time. So I, uh, I told him, you know, hey, you could, you know, invest some money into it. And then usually what I'll do is you can either in invest the money and just stay home and like, you know, that's that. Or you could invest the money and you can come on set and you can learn the different ropes of, you know, of filmmaking and such. And he decided to come on and he was learning stuff and he had a script for Groundhog that he already wrote that um after insomniac we started getting into and, and he did a couple more drafts on it and uh we eventually uh shot that in 2016 i think mm -hmm. i think yeah maybe 17 uh february i remember that but yeah i met him through facebook and just kind of a, a mutual love for film and you know we, we we both wanted to make films and we're big film fans so we got a lot to talk about and that's kind of how we linked up yeah. So how is that? Where is that available? Is it available? What? Groundhog or Insomniac? Yeah. Groundhog. We'll talk about Insomniac. Uh, 
we'll go. It's, uh, all of our films that are out. We, right now, we got DJ Stand the Man out, and we got Groundhog out. Insomniac's coming later in the year. If you go to our Facebook page, uh, Boombastic Films, uh, B O O M B A S T I C Films, uh, contact us, and we got we can get you through PayPal or if you're local, we can get it there. We try and do a lot of screenings and type of you know get-togethers throughout the conventions and stuff where we have booths and like people can get the merch like directly but yeah we you can paypal through us if you're out of state and there's even an ebay thing and they try and make it as accessible as possible mm-hmm. but yeah and so yeah. acts later in the year groundhog is on the street now yeah i recommend it people sir it's a lot of fun i i, I yeah. dig it and uh it was cool seeing uh james balsamo in it and i saw i heard well i heard his voice and uh an insomniac so um yeah uh where how did you get in touch with james balsamo because i don't think he's from around here i think he's in la now, yeah he was when i first met jimmy he was in new york and uh, i met him at rock and shock which is our big like horror convention in massachusetts mm-hmm. coming up uh, a couple like a month um yeah, yeah i just met him because he's a hustler man he's out he's always pushing his films he's like one of the hardest working dudes in like the independent world and um you know, just met him and he gave us some DVDs and we liked them and came back the next year and, you know, developed like a, uh, a little relationship with them and had, you know, through Facebook and stuff like that, just keeping up. And we knew we wanted to get him for the film. And, um, yeah, we just, when the time came to put him in with Insomniac, uh, I got, a got the, the voiceover from him. And then with the groundhog, we uh, brought him in to shoot. Yeah. He's in, LA now, but when mm-hmm. we shot Groundhog, he was in New York, so it wasn't that far of a trip down for him. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a very fun guy. Uh, Troy and I are in the upcoming uh, Cool as Hell too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. That was a lot of fun. He put me yeah. at ease. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and that, I don't know if it's a spoiler because I think this picture's up. But I get my head cut, uh, eaten off by a uh, Krampus. Nice. <laughs> Which is always good fun. So Insomniac, yeah, I, yeah, they are, they are. Uh, Insomniac was, uh, mm-hmm. I really dug it too. That was, that was very you. cool and, and great poster. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and so, uh, how did uh, did you did you write Insomniac? Yeah, I wrote Insomniac. Um, I wrote Insomniac years ago, and there was a uh, like another filmmaker actor I was working with that was looking for something. Uh, really sink his teeth in uh, in an acting sense, and that I brought that up to him, and he was interested. So I pulled it out and polished it up a little bit, sent it over. He liked it, and uh, we trekked into making it. So, is there any inspiration for Insomniac? Like, uh, do you suffer from insomnia? Yeah, I have. I, I suffer from insomniac from insomnia time to time. It's one of those things of you know. I'll get, I won't be able to sleep for a couple of weeks or, you know, and, um, it's just, it's something that I feel everybody kind of has, as I talk to people, they, everybody kind of, you know, it's, it's, and so if any worry or, or, you know, anything's on your mind or something like that, just keeping mm-hmm. you awake. And I feel everybody's got something that they're worried about or on their mind, you know what I mean? So it's kind of a, a very natural, like, uh, you know, I don't know if we do what you'd want to call it. Um, uh, a symptom i guess and it's uh, driven from that and um the i have a the, there's an element of a medical element to it um mm-hmm. 
where the, the, the doctors kind of, he goes to doctors to help him out and they don't really, you know, they kind of use him more as a guinea pig. And, um, that's, that, that's based off of my kind of like opinion of the medical field a little bit where like they, they're only human and they don't know really kind of, everything's kind of trial and error. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, to within trial and error, you have to, you know, break a few eggs to make an omelet, I guess you could say. And he just happened to be one of those unfortunate eggs. Yeah. Do you have, a, do you have any uh, experience with, like, some type of uh, medication you were given that you had uh, a bad experience with? No. No, not, not uh... Especially not, not, not that level. Yeah. No, just hearing stories. Just in general. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I, I... When you're saying about insomnia in general, I would agree with that, because over the last couple of years, when uh less stress in my life i sleep much better no uh, yeah. i have that problem anymore so you're sleeping good yes i am good man yeah good man <laughs> I, I really like the waiting room scene in insomniac so uh, some great little cameos and yeah yeah we got billy coin in there uh, uh kdp and stuff we got sabrina dennison in the film um mm. Playing the nurse, she was in Alejandro Hodorowski, Santa Sangri. Oh, sweet. She played Alma, yeah. It was, it was a, um, that was a fun thing. It's always fun when you get to work with people that like you. You kind of grew up watching this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is it hard to, uh, when you make like a short film, to have a story arc that can play out within like, you know, 20 minutes or half? Well, it's, it's kind of a long movie for a short film. Yeah, yeah, I come to real, yeah, I came to realize uh, Insomniac. I think it's thirty six minutes long, and it was definitely a little too long for your your typical nowadays. Your short films are like five to fifteen type deal, quick, get, you know, get them in and out type deal. And yeah, we 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 overshot, I think, a little bit with uh, with um, the time on that. And um, you know, I like it. I like the pacing of it and such. It's just kind of difficult to fit in, mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, that your typical, like your festivals and such are usually looking for shorter, yeah. you know, shorter things. It's not quite a feature. So like, but it's not, you know, it's not short, short either. Yeah. Two things that I do. I was going to mention, I think it, it wouldn't work as well if it was cut down. Cause then the pacing wouldn't be the same. So you yeah. really wouldn't feel for the guy having insomnia, I think as much if it was shorter Yeah. and, uh, about the, about like, um, uh, time wiser, where where does Insomniac or a movie that length where does it play then? Like if it's not going to fit, maybe in in a short film festival, uh, or do you, does it work? Do you put something like that on DVD and put like extras on there? Like where where does yeah. it get seen? We were lucky and it, it it played like a good chunk of festivals, um, which we were lucky with. We got a couple of awards, which was nice. Mm-hmm. It was pretty well received. Oh, the, that's um, good but to yeah, hear. You, huh? Oh, that that's good to hear. That's yeah, know. yeah. I I was very happy to hear it. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna get a DVD release. It's it's um we're gonna probably release it ourselves. Uh, but yeah, it's kind it's tricky with uh, festivals because usually you know they have your short film sections where they want twenty minutes and under type deal or you or the other categories like the forty five plus for features mm-hmm. and stuff. And it kind of fell in the middle, which was a little difficult, I think with, with submitting it to festivals, but there, there was a, there was a good amount of festivals out there that, 
had a like a good you know middle ground where it could play. Mm-hmm. I personally like a, a, a short about that length. Um, yeah, and and Groundhog's not. Uh, uh, you know, it's 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 like an hour or so, right? I think. And um, right, yeah. So not, I think it's almost an hour exactly. Yeah, because sometimes um, sometimes movies are clearly too long, and it's like padded out, so it's you know ninety minutes. And then sometimes yeah. I think a short can also be too short, you know, and you can't really tell like a any type of story arc or character arc in that. So I personally kind of like like the half hour, forty five minute kind of length. Yeah, I, me too. Like I know, like I'm happy with it, and I'm very happy with like the time it is and stuff. Just from like a festival, like uh, looking at it through like the eyes of maybe someone that was, you know, at yeah. a festival looking into it, I could understand the, the problem with the length, but I mean, yeah, like, like you said, I think that it's kind of, I think it works for what it is type deal. Um, and yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I watch movies where if they, if it was 20 minutes shorter or whatever, it would have been really good, but it really drags on and like, yeah. you know, it really kills the film. You got to kind of like, you gotta cut. It's art, so like there really shouldn't be a time limit on it. It should just be I whatever agree. feels right for the film. Yeah, but whatever it is to tell the story. Yeah, whatever works. Yeah, there's yeah, there's certain molds you you know if you want it to be within the film system and do the festivals and stuff, you gotta kind of fit certain molds for it. But yeah, outside of the festival thing, you know, I think yeah, everybody is kind of gotten a lot of good feedback on it. With you know the length and stuff isn't too much. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, do you yeah uh, do you run festivals or you hey are you part of because I've seen like you put up about uh, the upcoming Halloween show and I think uh, last week there was a festival. Yeah, I'm. Um, I have a. We do with this. Uh, this is the first year that we uh, last week we did the Undo Divergent Film Awards, which is with a uh, friend of mine, buddy composer um, Andre Fernandez, who uh, pr- uh, composed Insomniac, and. Um, so that was the first year we're getting into that because it's fun. Um, it's good to see all the different films and stuff and be able to showcase them. Um, the, the Halloween thing, uh, it's more that we started that last year and it was mainly a boombastic films thing where we did what I, we, we did Insomniac and Groundhog with some short, some segments because we've been doing some uh, like the, some UK segments with uh, Tony Newton. Um, body bag films and stuff where they do like the to die for and the 60 seconds to die and the grime exploitation mm-hmm. type films. So we put them in between, but um, yeah, the, the Halloween thing, something we want to try and do every year um, on Halloween night. It's kind of for the people that, you know, you're older now and Halloween's just kind of gotten lame when you're older. And I want to kind of bring it back to that cool feeling of, you know, people that don't have kids or whatever, you know, they're not out there trick or treating. They can still come in you know, mm-hmm. we give them a bag of candy and some treats and some like prizes and stuff and like-minded people. And we play a bunch of like indie horror films and it's uh, just a fun experience. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. I might have to make it this year. Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that does sound like a good time. We're trying to keep Halloween alive for the older people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Be- before you started doing that, uh, did you do anything for Halloween? No, not really. I mean, when I in my teen years, I'd go like if it was a, a, the weekend, you go to the weekend party, like the weekend before Halloween. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But other than that, as you you know, you get older, friends have kids, they they disappear from circles and stuff, and you mm-hmm. eventually just find yourself at home 
watching horror movies on like the AMC channel or like watching a DVD or something. And that's what Halloween's become just like another, another, just another day of the week. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was trying to, you know, kind of rebuild a little, a little uh, happiness around that time. Yeah. When, when you... we were younger, it was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, and like it is cool to watch horror movies on your computer or your TV, or whatever. But it's not yeah. the same as watching with a group of people. Yeah, it's fun, you know. It's uh you get the 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 environment of you know everybody being laughing or being scared or you know seeing a big gore moment where they all you know get a get a chuckle and like that you know an ew you know ew mm-hmm. feeling of seeing this <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, it's always better to see uh, something in a theater within a group, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it adds to it. Yeah, definitely. It seems yeah. like uh, the last few years, maybe five years or so, that that, that short films have like become a lot more popular. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. that's because of the festivals? I think it's a little bit of both. That It's a little bit of the festival thing because everybody kind of wants, you know, recognition for their work, rightfully so. And I think that it's just this, uh, there's like an attention span that I don't really think is there anymore. So like people yeah. are more enough to see, um, rather watch like a five minute thing and then move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? But getting, you know, telling a little story within five minutes is like these people that'll do like the minutes, like minute, like, uh, like the minute film festival ones is weird. It's just like, you know, half a scene type deal. You know what I mean? But, yeah, uh, if they can do it, more power to them. Sure, I think I might be out of the the age range for the for the for that kind of stuff. Like I, even when I watch the the ABCs of Death, like a couple of my dug, but yeah. they're just too short for me. It's like yeah. it's they're like kind of neat. Yeah, they're, they're fun flash, you know what I mean? Like yeah. people, you know, people want to get kind of caught up in a story and taken away from like whatever is going on in their life or whatever, and they just want to kind of sink into something and like. I mean, I don't have anything against those short films. Those short, short films. I just don't yeah. think you can really get into them. You know what I mean? Yeah. By the time, yeah. you, by the time you start to feel it out, they're over. So. Right. That was oh interesting because I had a conversation with uh some of the, I think they were in the early twenties uh, Sunday when I was doing a little uh, movie thing, and um, and they were talking about podcasts because they found out you know I did the podcast, and he was saying yeah. like uh like you should never have a podcast over fifteen minutes I think. And he tries to cut them down to like 40 seconds to 60 seconds so they can play them on Instagram. And I was just trying to wrap my head around that. Like, I don't know how you could, <laughs> what would even be the point of doing like a 45 second podcast. And he was showing yeah, them on his phone and it like, it wasn't even conversations. It was like, it was like the sound bites, you know, clipped out. And I was just like, um, I mean, if someone likes that, I guess that's cool. But uh, it, yeah, it, it didn't I, really register with me. I, I didn't get it. Uh, yeah, I don't understand that whole thing. Like uh, when I think of a podcast, I think of something lengthy that it's almost like you're sitting down with a friend and you're listening to your friend, you know, yeah. go back, almost go back and forth with opinions and stuff. Right, exactly. But I, I think it goes back to that attention span thing, which is unfortunate. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? But it, yeah, it, yeah. It if it's whittled it down to that point, though, that's, that's <laughs> that doesn't bode well for the future. No. Yeah, it'll just be a logo. Pretty soon it'll just be like a picture, and that'll be it. Yep, I'll flash you a picture. You flash me one, and then we just walk on. Yeah, exactly. the, the the boomerang app, where it just kind of moves a little bit, like a little GIF. It could be. It could be just because it's the easiest thing to do too. Where like, 
you just all if you're only talking for like five minutes and that's that it's like you don't even really have to do anything you just say well i like this movie it was good and i, I didn't like this movie <laughs> and, that's bad. and then that's uh-huh. the end of it mm-hmm. yeah that sounds thrilling but the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned Tony Newton, who's uh, who's in England, yeah. and a lot, every, a lot of times when I have uh, people on, you know, uh, from Boston area, uh, they've all worked with him. So mm-hmm. I always find it uh, weird. Well, I don't know weird, but it's it's uh, interesting that someone in England uh, works uh, a lot with people in the Boston area. Like, how how did he get involved with with everybody? I think that he got involved with everybody like through Facebook and just community and like. Because Facebook is really, you know, it, the social media is really like a big advantage for, you know, independent, low-budget filmmakers where they can connect with people like overseas like that. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, being on like a message board or like a, either or like a, you know, a horror page, and you just see, you know, there's people sharing their work and stuff, and they you know they 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 say well i like this like i got a, i got in contact with him through doing uh the first thing i did with tony i'm pretty sure it was an interview i got interviewed for a documentary he was doing about vhs and it was i think i met him through like a vhs type of um page where like people would put up the rare vhs that they own and stuff you know what i mean but yeah i've done like five or six things with him so far. Tony's a good dude. Um, but yeah, I think it was like that. And I think it's just once, once, you know, when it, with the big groups of people that kind of go to, it, I think once a couple people start showing up on these things, I think other people get interested because the overseas aspect is like very cool. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. you, think you can get your work shown in a whole different country. And that's, yeah. you know, very tempting to any filmmaker because you gotta want to. You're making these to be seen, so like they want sure. everybody to see them. And then there's perfect situations where people that have put out movies that never really found a home or found like a loving fan base within the states have mm-hmm. found it elsewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I just uh, I was at Fright Fest in London, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a huge uh, horror community there. Uh, you know, there's um, uh, a guy there who had a big tattoo Fright Fest in his arm. But yeah, the, yeah. Just, the place was just packed with uh, horror movie fans. It was very cool to see because I just didn't realize, you know, there was such a big uh, a love of horror movies and especially like uh, kind of like underground or independent horror movies. Yeah, I think the horror the horror horror movies ha- like have the most loyal fans. You know what I mean? Like you don't really mm-hmm. see too many people tatted up with like john candy tattoos even though they should and <laughs> yes. uh, you know what i mean but like, uh-huh. there's not dramatic convention you got your comic book conventions and stuff but mm-hmm. that's more of like uh you know com- different the conventions have kind of have been have blown up in the last like 10 years oh yeah um, you know what i mean it's really become something i remember there was there used to be like like three in the u.s like maybe like 15 20 years ago and now like every every city almost has like one or two going on. You know what I mean? And they've, unfortunately they've become like big business where like you go to a convention now and it's like horrendous. Like I remember going like, like well, some rock and shock will say, like I remember going to rock and shock when it first started and you could go up and you could meet somebody and you get a picture with them and talk to them and get an autograph for like 10, 15 bucks. You know, nowadays mm-hmm. it's like, you need to pay them like 50 bucks just to shake their hand. And it's like, it's been very exploited, which is kind of sad. 
but like yeah. it's just become the business. You know what I mean? Whenever people smell money, it's over. Oh, yeah, because yeah, uh, we started doing the conventions not that long ago. I think 2011 was our first uh, one doing them with the show, and yeah, uh, right. and just over that short period of time, it's really changed a lot. Where I see, uh, yeah. like you said, uh, people like charging you. Know, there was even, I think they stopped doing it because like there was a lot of uh, a lot of people were against it. But I remember there was some uh, some people from The Walking Dead who were charging ten dollars just to go up to the table and meet them. And they like were like the, backgrounds, weren't they? Yeah, it wasn't even like you know top uh, characters or anything. I remember I'm, when I met Kane Hunter for the first time. I paid five dollars for an autograph. Yeah. That makes me feel like I'm eighty years old. Or <laughs> years, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. But like, and he's still pretty reasonable. But yeah, you'll see people yeah. that are like, like I was at. I went to the Rhode Island Comic Con recently, and. You couldn't, I remember the Jason Momoa dude um, from like Aquaman mm-hmm. was like $80 to like, you couldn't even like go through his line to like shake his hand and be like, hey, wow. like right. you had to pay like 80 bucks to like just do that. It was like, ugh, like the guys, are, they're making money. Like what's weird is like the, the appreciation of like fans have kind of dwindled a little bit because they, they I don't know if it's just because in in the media and stuff that they're so like pampered i guess you could say or like you know love type deal where they feel that they can do it but um it's unfortunate because like the fans of the people that go sh- go see these movies and like you, you know you, 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 the reason why you, you you're doing so successful is you know it's because of these people that go out to see your movies and buy your movies you know and the ticket sales and the merchandise even though they don't make anything off of merchandise but like you know you know the people that go see your movies you should do like adam green for instance is a really cool dude that if you if you if you he'll give you free autographs and i think that that's the way to do it you know it it, it's yeah more of a personal experience that's that's what i always liked yeah, and and if you look at it that way, like he's given the free autographs, but then you're more likely than to go buy Adam Green stuff. Oh, absolutely! Like you, you get you if you're you're like a you're you're somebody at a convention and you take the time to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. and give them a free autograph. You made a fan for like ever. It'll be very difficult for you to really like fuck up in their eyes, so to speak. You know what I mean? And no, like, it's true. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Unlike if you, if a dude pays eighty bucks for your autograph, and then your movie your next movie's not as good, they're gonna be one of those people trashing it like hard on <laughs> online, right? Right for right. show because you know they paid you know a lot of you know a lot, there's a lot of people that don't exactly make a lot of money. Well, I know people that save up all year and will drop thousands of dollars at a convention, and it's like mm-hmm. it's to su- support the people that they love, and it just it doesn't look like they're getting the love back sometimes, you know. Yeah, and then there's a guy, you know, like Sid, Sid uh, Haig, he, he even came out and said, you know, he's never going to raise his prices. It's like $10 for an autograph and maybe 20 for a signature on his own stuff. I think it might be cheaper if he signs your thing. And uh, I always think that's really cool, uh, you know. Sid Haig. Yeah. Sid Haig, yeah, I'll tell you a quick story about Sid Haig. Sid Haig's real, he's awesome, awesome dude. I'm The first time I went to Rock and Shock, I went with um, a friend of mine that just got back from Iraq. And he he had a Devil's Reject uh, bootleg DVD, which I I understand the bootleg situation. 
Um, and mm-hmm. he, but he brought it to the, he brought it to, you know, uh, some other people that were there with the film and like, they gave him kind of a hard time about him having that bootleg. And he's like, this is the only version of the movie I could get when I was in Iraq. And people were still like not being cool with it. But when he got to Sid's table, Sid was, he got up, he shook his hand, thanked him for his service, gave him the free autograph. Like that was like, that, 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 that's like special. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it's, it's just an old school dude where like he, he knows what it's like to, to try and create, a relationship with the fans where these other people it's so it comes so easy with facebook and stuff that they mm-hmm. miss they, they overlook they, they they overlook the true like specialness or like interaction like creating those relationships like they they they, they take it for granted in a way you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah he was um well i have a lot of history said because he was actually our first guest ever on the show and it yeah. was uh, actually through um through Rock and Shock, which is very cool, and yeah, yeah he was, yeah, and it was. Uh, I was a little because uh, the first guest, so the first guy we're going to interview on the show, and I'm like, oh man, it's Sid Hay, it's you know, and to call him up, and he was just like at home watching TV, and he was just a regular, you know, very cool guy. I was still intimidated. Yeah, yeah. I actually, one. I actually have that bootleg too of 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 House of Thousand Corpses because mm-hmm. at the time. It wasn't even going to be known if it was ever going to come out. And right. so I, on eBay back in the day when it was kind of the Wild West eBay, when you could buy pretty much anything on there. And uh, I remember people were selling it, so I bought one. You know, and then when the actual yeah. movie came out, I bought it too. But I, I'm curious. I should watch because I remember then when the real one came out, it being much different than my bootleg. I should I should go back and watch that one, see how different it is. Yeah, it could it. be, but... I believe like Warner Brothers owned it, and then like they they shelved it, and Rob Zombie had to like buy it back, and then he sold it to Lionsgate, I think, to get the actual release. Yeah, yeah. My friend worked for Lionsgate. We were on the show, and when I was in LA once, he gave us a tour of mm-hmm. Lionsgate. Well, he gave me a tour, and uh, yeah. there was so much like Devil's Rejects and then House of a Thousand Corpses stuff there because that was like uh, the the movie that really you know, helped them at that time because I guess they weren't doing so good and so the, and there was like it was really cool because it was like old posters that they never used they was hanging up mm-hmm. but it was also cool about the place he told me beforehand you're going to see who uh, worked here for you know since the beginning and the new people because like if you'd go in the office of someone who worked there for a long time it would be just you know horror movie stuff and toys everywhere and then like everyone else was just it was just like a regular like office so oh, like really? Real, it was like yeah, the corporate really kind of place. Yeah, so it was like there was really some really cool people left. They were like the, you know, the, the last of the original employees, and then everyone else like were just straight up, you know, office people in, in cubicles. Yeah, I think that's because you got because films become such a. It's always been a business, but more so now, where the people that were making films back in the day were really making it because they love making movies, and nowadays it's more people getting into it because they know that money can be made type deal. Yeah. So I think, I think that's kind of like the switch over that happened with that. But. Mm-hmm. So what kind of movies did you watch growing up that like, uh, made you want to do this someday? Um, I was, uh, yeah, a lot of horror, I'm a big horror movie fan. A lot of like nineties uh, action movies, uh, would we go to the rental rental store. It'd be a lot of, uh, I wasn't really allowed to get horror movie when I, horror movies when I was younger, 
which is probably why it pushed me closer to them. You had know, that that aspect of it, but yeah, uh, a lot of like you know Steven Seagal, Jean Claude Van Damme movies and stuff. You know Schwarzenegger. Um, I like kids movies for a while too. I was big into you know like the Ernest films. Mm-hmm. Um, I even like the like animated Disney movies for a while. You know, Willy Wonka. Yeah, I like that too. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's coming. <laughs> Uh, I love Willy Wonka, man. That's one of the probably my top yeah, ten, my top ten movies. Yeah, and it's weird because like when you're a kid, you just like love it, and then you well, I still love it now, but you see it much different. Like, man, this is a really weird movie. Like uh, Willy yeah. Wonka is really kind of creepy in a way, and this is. I think you get you told I see it in totally different eyes. You know, whatever age you are watching it. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think that's why it holds up so well too, because you can be a kid or an adult and still uh, get something out of it. In a way, though, yeah. it doesn't anymore because, like, we we took our nephews to go see the, uh, you know, the original one, mm-hmm. and they were bored to death. They after about like forty minutes in, they were like, "Man, we've had enough of this movie." Yeah, and and we were fascinated. We were like, "Oh my god, how can you not like this movie?" They were like, "Nah, it's kind of dull." I was yeah, I was shocked. It moves too slow, I think, for like a younger generation because everything's so fast paced now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. You know, CGI effects are like crazy and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, the people that can appreciate film can always go back and look at stuff like that. And you know, it's unfortunate we're getting old. So it's like all the movies that we watched when when we were younger, they look at them now and they're like, uh, "This is like dull because." It's not fast paced and it's not yeah, you know, no explosions yeah. and things. Yeah, no explosions and stuff. And they, uh, they, I mean, that's part of the, the 15 minute generation where they're kind of just <laughs> commercials, yep. you know what I mean? They just did rather watch a bunch of like real quick things on YouTube because it's more accessible to them, I guess. It's, mm-hmm. but I've noticed just in the last couple of years, because um, like a lot of people I know from my, uh, you know, I'm 42. And uh, mm-hmm. like a, a like really anti uh, CG, and then like mm-hmm. I've noticed that uh, there are a lot of people who really love or not necessarily love it, but they they're they're into the CG. And I notice they're mostly like people in their early twenties. So then I you know it makes me think well you you know they grew up with that, so I guess you look at it differently. Like uh, the like for me like even bad like practical effects has like mm-hmm. has like a, a fun to it. It's like a you know, because uh, I grew up with that kind of stuff, and then right. like bad CG to me is just bad. It's like not enjoyable. But then I guess if you yeah. grew up with that, you know, to you that's kind of like the the cool thing. I don't know. It's a, uh, I guess it's not really right or wrong. But I did. You, I have noticed that there there are. I used to think no one was into CG, but uh, I'm wrong there. There are people who dig it. Yeah, there was a weird era like in the two, early 2000s when they didn't quite master CG, so it did look like shit. But yeah. like nowadays, nowadays everything's like crisp and like really good. But yeah, I, I, I of course, I of course love the older stuff. Like you take a movie like John Carpenter's The Thing, and the yeah. effects in that movie are like holy shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like wow. And oh, um, yeah. I don't think they could even do that justice with CGI nowadays. You know what I mean? But you have a lot no. of super super talented makeup people that are, unfortunately are dying out because of computers. But like. Yeah, and I, my stance on CGI is, like, I think that you can partner them together pretty well, where you should have, like, a practical effect, but you can still Mm -hmm. put a little CG in there with it to kind of enhance it. But I I definitely like the the 
I don't think they'll ever get over and ever beat the whole, that physical feel where like it just looks, you know, CGI has a certain look to it. But yeah, this, eventually, still, yeah. I think the weight's after. not there. I think my a lot of problem is like the weight's not there. Like you could, mm-hmm. and so you even if you don't like think that through, I think like your eye can tell that there's just in your brain like there's just not something right. Yeah, kind of takes it. It takes you out of it. Yeah, unless you get the crazy like Jurassic Park kind of. Yeah, you know. and and see a lot of that was practical stuff, but it's right. like a combination of the two. Yeah, like the first, like the Stan Winston dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park were like mind blowing. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, God, yeah. I remember there was a picture floating around where like somebody thought that like. Somebody thought that they like really like cloned dinosaurs for like the <laughs> yeah. making of that movie, uh-huh. and um, it just goes to show how great those those uh, makeup effects artists were. You know what I mean? The people yeah. built that stuff. It's a dying yeah. art, you know. I mean? But then you go back and you look at like the stop motion of like that. You know, back in the day, and how like mind blowing that was to people, and it still is pretty mind blowing. But mm-hmm. like you, if you were to you were to show like King Kong or something. To, or like you know, to like a to like a seven year old kid, he'd be like, um, "Turn this off," you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah that's very true. Yeah. It's just uh, I think it's 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 what people are, you know, what 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 people grow up with is what's warm to them, and like mm-hmm. they'll always have a special place in their heart because it's it's like music too, where like all the everybody's generation of music is better than the next generation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. I think it's something people just own it. It becomes part of them. So uh, yeah. they defend it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all previous generations usually hate like the current generation's music. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it goes. But yeah, I remember going to see Jurassic Park when it came out and just like, it really was like, like awe-inspiring, you know, just seeing the dinosaurs walking around. It was really, yeah. you know, it was pretty wild. And, yeah. that, and now yeah. you don't get that feeling. Yeah, you were the masters of their crafts at the time. It's yeah, yeah. The Jurassic Park movies are still fun, you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. I think they're all CGI nowadays. Yeah, it doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same feeling. I guess after you do so many, it would be hard to have the same uh, same feeling anyway. Yeah, we've all seen would... the. Mm. We've all yeah. seen the dinosaur now. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you gonna do? Are you, gonna, are you ever gonna do like a '90s style action movie? A '90s style action movie? Yeah. I uh, I'm not opposed to it. There's nothing in in the plans now, but I would I would I would uh, if the opportunity came up, I'd be all about it. I support that. Mm-hmm. Have cool you seen like, the new Terminator? I mean, the new Predator. I haven't seen the new Predator. Um, the trailer it may really inspire you. I, yeah. Well, that's what's funny. There's there's two separate trailers, and I wasn't aware of it until we went and saw mm-hmm. the movie. There's the one you see on TV, then there's an R-rated trailer that they showed at the movies. Yeah. And um, it's so much better, and it's more of what the movie's about. Like, when Neil and I saw it, it, it was just so much better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I really went in thinking I was going to hate it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I honestly had a really good time. I thought it was... a it was fun. It was like crazy violent. It was way more violent than I expected it to be, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, I was kind of surprised to make people hate it, but uh, maybe because my expectations were so low. But uh, I dug it. Had a good time. You know, that, 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 the low expectations does help. I, I do plan on seeing it though, because uh, yeah, I, I never really take 
other people's opinions on movies <clears> that goes back you know everybody has a different outlook on everything yeah yeah but i'll i'll check it out eventually uh you look at shane black and fred decker the return of fred decker which was fun yeah you know what i mean yeah that's very cool um, I was hoping he'd be a little, <clears throat> little bit more of a success for that sense to maybe see more of his stuff. But yeah, because I just saw the uh, the documentary uh, Wolfman's Got Nards about uh, about Monster, Monster Squad, Squad. and yeah. like his everyone else in the movie really it's kind of like a, a love affair with the movie, but his stuff was like really poignant because it's like he says like I think it's my best movie, but it also like ruined my career because you know didn't make money and stuff, and so I was like the same way like oh man. Uh, I hope that's a success just for that. It'd be cool, like him to make, like you know, make some successful stuff. But uh, it's that's probably the best part of the documentary, though, because it is like it's really it's real, and you kind of see everybody else like they didn't really care that the movie didn't do very well because they still had fun. But you know, you could tell that uh, you know affected him a lot that the movie didn't do very well. It'll probably do better with the release on Blu-ray because then they could give it like an unrated cut, which I think that's what a lot of people want they want like like a lot, bunch of gore and stuff you know what i mean yeah. like when they when they, yeah. when they redid the rambo movie uh you know four years ago whatever it was when they made that new rambo movie i think that was like the fact that that movie had so much gore in it was like what helped make that movie so good you know what i mean where yeah. he's cutting people in half with machine guns and stuff and the, yeah know, were exploding from getting shot mm-hmm. um it's fun though because like that that whole like super ultra violent um films like i don't know if we'll be seeing too many of them anymore um just with the way kind of you know things have kind of softened up a little bit but Mm -hmm. they're fun you know and they're needed and they're a good release it's all about like movies are a release you know they're they're there you go see a movie and you can watch somebody tear somebody in half in a movie so then you don't really want to do it in real life type deal (laughs) you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but this one, Predator was a lot gorier than I expected it to be. There was a lot of crazy yeah. violence, which I didn't think yeah, there I, would be from from the from the trailer. I'll I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, definitely it was, different than I expected. I dug it a lot. So, uh, House Across the Street, which I didn't yeah. realize you were part of, and a few years oh, yeah. ago when it came out, uh, we were we did an interview on the red carpet with the director, and we we're at the premiere and. I probably mm-hmm. saw you there, but I didn't know who you were. Yeah. It's true. So how did, yeah, how did you get involved in that? Because you know, uh, it's a pretty big movie and it's a cool movie. Yeah, too. I, I got involved with that uh, through the director Arthur Lund. Um, I was making movies like on my own for a little bit, and when I really started to like, br- like branch out in the community to kind of look into other films, I found a. Uh, maybe Craigslist or something like that of a film looking for extras uh, for a movie he did called Cond, which is a really fun film. And I went on that and I met him and I was like really gung ho. He, he had a good operation going. I did some background on it. I ended up doing some crew. And then from there, I just said, you know, Hey, on the next project, you know, let me know uh, what you're doing. I'd love to work on it. And, you know, maybe you take a step up a little further and it'd be more help and, from that point, um, we did we did a um, we did a little web series thing, and then we did Mr. Shard's Saw, and then when the time came to make that, uh, I was I was almost like Arthur's right hand man a little bit. So 
I came in to House Across the Street. I was line producer in second AD. I did special effects on it, locations, like the whole thing. I wore a bunch of hats on it. And, um, yeah, just went into that. And that was cool. That was, like, probably the biggest film that I've worked on in a bigger way like that because we had, like, the – we had Eric Roberts in it and Ethan Embry and Courtney Gaines, the late Alex Rocco, who – yeah, he was really Alex Rocco was really a sweet guy because usually when you're on set everybody's kind of really friendly, but Alex Rocco was like grandfatherly friendly where like he could just could pull you aside and tell you a cool story or something or just like talk about whatever. Where you know you sometimes you get that feel like people are just being nice for the sake of work, you know what I mean? But like he was, uh-huh. he was uh he was a lot more like uh, open and, and, and welcoming, I should say, you know, in that situation. But yeah, I just kind of getting in with Arthur and climbing the ranks with him. And, you know, that that's kind of the best thing you can do is you find people that are like-minded and want to do things. And Arthur's got a good head on his shoulders and he's, he, uh, he can find, he finds, you know, budgets that he needs to make what he wants to make. And, um, he's got a real, like, take no, uh, take no prisoners attitude. And, uh, he always kind of pushes people to get the best out of them. And that's kind of who you want to be around. And we, uh, yeah, just now the time came to make that movie, you know, I came on board. We had a lot of other cool people on that working and it was, uh, that was, that was a fun film to do. Yeah. So, uh, have you had, have you had any, uh, like experiences uh, making any of the movies that really stand out to you, either or bad or good. Um, I, yeah, I mean, whenever you make a movie and, and you get to play it in front of an audience is usually a good experience. Um, but like, you know, they're there. I've always really enjoyed like being able to work with like the people that you kind of grow up as a fan of, which we got to do with that. I did a movie called Alice B. Uh, the haunting of Alice D where we got to bring in Kane Hodder, which being a big, big horror fan um, was like awesome because, you know, I love, you know, raised on like the Friday the 13th movies. Like, cause those are the movie, Friday the 13th movies were movies that you could watch on like USA would always do like marathons back yeah. in the day. So like, even if I, even if you couldn't go to the store to rent them or whatever, like you could still they'd be edited down, but you could still kind of watch them. You know what I mean? And that was always fun. So that was cool. And like, I remember, you know, just uh, from that set, there's a good story where, like, at the end of the shoot, we all we all had some drinks and stuff. We were renting a mansion uh, to shoot the film in, and um, we all had some drinks. And uh, it's funny because he, he's a he's an ICP fan, and uh, yeah, back, or, in my younger, yeah. back in my younger days, I was more of an ICP fan. But like, I remember drinking and like singing some songs with them, and then like. He uh, he told us all this story about like how he he got burnt. Like the whole story was like the mm-hmm. stunt that like got him. Uh, there's a documentary out now, "The Hell Is Back," which I haven't yeah. had yet to see, but I'm sure it's like fantastic. And um, it was really cool to have that like special moment with him, where like you can see how like deeply impacted he was. You know what I mean? Yeah, his book's great, and. Uh... The chapters yeah. about the burn and then like the um the comeback for you know it, the healing of it, uh, that's really powerful stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, I got the book. It is it's intense. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's he he had to like fight. He had to fight and work pretty hard just to get back to where he was because it was pretty. 
it was pretty bad, you know, when it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of those stories that kind of give you, you know, a personal, uh, personal hope, one of those overcome things where you can see, well, he overcame this and he, mm-hmm. he, he, the, after that, like he, he, he became what he's known for now and stuff. And it's always good to be able to see somebody put in a terrible situation and how they, overcome that and you can find inspiration in it you know what i mean because mm-hmm. then you kind of look at your situation and be like well i got less to overcome and he had yeah. more and he did it and it's just you know what i mean mm-hmm. i remember the the one i don't i don't remember what year it was but it was um one of the years he was at rock and shock and there was uh, a lot of burn victims there because like they really look up to him yeah. <clears throat> you know is uh being open about because that was really powerful in the book too where he like would really cover up his burns until yeah. he saw someone like was a girl who was you know i think her face was burnt and like he was yeah. kind of staring at her and like her boyfriend's like hey what are you doing but it was just like uh it was like he epiphany where he's like you know i don't have to be ashamed of you know or embarrassed by these burns and he was open about it yeah it's beautiful man like that transcends film it's like what the only the, the most important thing anybody can do in their life is like change somebody else's life for the better you know what i mean Absolutely, yeah. You know what I mean, and like it, it, it always gives me goosebumps to kind of think of his story because, like, he does, and he, he, you know, he, he, he's very cool with the people that went through that, and you know, people that have been through really dark shit, like they need somebody to be able to relate to, you know what I mean, and they need like something to look up to, you know what I mean? Yeah, as we all do. And it's real. I always found like uh, it always really, you know, stuck with me. Um, that situation with him being, you know, so cool like mm-hmm. that. And uh, he, he he's a dude who, who understands, you know what I mean? Yeah. Interesting enough, when I started doing the horror movie conventions and being around, like, uh, you know, horror movie fans and stuff, I found that, like, uh, the horror community is, like, the most, like, uh, accepting. Like, you think maybe yeah. they're, like, a bunch of crazy people. or so, But it's like everyone has the same, you know, a common love. And, like, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're a crazy guy with all these uh, tattoos or or you just dress like a normal person, whatever. Uh, everyone's very accepting because you all, you know, d- dig the same thing. Yeah, just because you like to watch people get in their heads cut off doesn't mean you're cutting off heads. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's like it's uh, it's a therapeutic. You know what I mean? I, it, it's one of those things where you know a good movie should be something where you can pull somebody out of like. I, I always, the thing that I always really loved about film is the fact that you could be having a really bad day, no matter what the circumstances, and you could put on a movie and you can get lost in that movie and forget about whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's the most powerful thing about film, I think. And um, yeah, like the horror audience, like I said before, like there's no audience like the horror audience where they are, they're so supportive of each other and it is, it's like a tight knit family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where they, they gather once a year or whenever they can, and everybody's on the same page because they're all kind of, they all have a love for something that in your everyday regular life, like the dude that you work with doesn't understand how you could, you know, love like Mike Myers, Michael Myers, or like, or, or even the comedian Mike Myers, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> right. but like, you know, they, 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 they don't, well, understand I can't understand it. that, <laughs> 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 yeah. but they don't like, uh, understand like how you could find 
a piece in like something violent, you know what I mean? And uh, you're now surrounded by people that understand it. And it's almost like uh, you're on the same wavelength, but yeah, like the the conventions are like really great. And I think they're bringing people together, you know, that's what it's all about. And I just wish they would charge so much for autographs. (laughs) Yeah. But but yeah, you know what I mean? I'm down with yeah. yeah, I've been starting with the festivals, and I've really been, uh, just really this year, Boston Underground yeah. Film Festival's the first one I did, and um, I've really been having a good time. It's a similar idea. It's been a lot of people just coming together to watch, uh, uh, not necessarily horror movies, kind of like what they call genre movies, weird, something weird, and uh, it's a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's like, like, I, like I, I don't think, like, I was trying to say, but I don't think I said it right before, is like, you got usually certain hobbies or interests that you would almost be outcasted from like a regular group for, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Being a film nerd or being a big horror fan, like almost would be looked on, looked down upon a little bit, but like when you're with those people, it's all family, you know what I mean? It's a beautiful thing. They can all relate and they all share the same interests. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like it's all about finding people that you get along with and like share interest and it just makes life easier and that's what everybody wants is like an easy smooth life that's happy and when you find other people that love the same thing you do that it's it's that you're on the right path Mm -hmm. as i grew up big horror movie fan a wrestling professional wrestling fan and and a D &D player so it was a lot of stuff that other people weren't necessarily like hey that's really cool right but then you go into, you know, a convention and it's embraced, you know what I mean? Yeah, and exactly. Every, yeah. Everybody wants to belong, you know, and that's why there's so many people that go to see, like, the Red Sox and all these other things where it's just like people just want to belong to something, you know, they want to feel like they're not alone, they share something with somebody else, a human contact, and everybody has their own little thing, you know what I mean? And horror, I, I, from all the groups that I've seen, you know, you go to a Red Sox game and see like 20 fist fights over something stupid, but you never see fighting <laughs> at a horror convention, which is that's funny. That's like, true. Yeah. That's I, I don't think I've ever seen a fight. It's funny that like, yeah, they would, they would, you know, they would look at a horror fan, like someone that would kill somebody, but like you go to another, like a sporting event where people are getting beaten up in the parking lot or in the stands and stuff. And yeah. it's like, you never see that at a horror convention. Everybody's <laughs> cool. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely true. Yeah. I know we mentioned uh, B documentary earlier, but uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about it because it, it was cool. Because I do a lot of people in it for from uh, meeting mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. and so uh, and Nick Charles did a really good job, I think. So when yeah. you're a producer on that, what does producer mean for people uh, who might not know what a producer producer does? Producer just means you know setting up different interviews with some of the different people that we're interviewing, and you know, making sure that uh, everything kind of falls in place. And, um, you know, me and Nick both produced it. And uh, we both brought in certain people that, you know, were interviewed and and just kind of overseeing a little bit. But yeah, Nick Charles, who directed it, he did a, uh, did one before that. So he didn't really need any overseeing. But it was, uh, I've seen the first movie and, you know, I thought it was really cool, and I was kind of wanting to branch into that documentary type feel with filmmakers because, you know, being from Massachusetts, it's not New York, it's not Hollywood. You know, mm-hmm. and you're in Hollywood, you're you got the you know you're lucky enough that you could, you know, bump into like Quentin Tarantino at the coffee shop or something like that. You know what I mean? Or bump mm-hmm. into like a Wes Craven, rest in peace. 
at like, you know, at a restaurant and you get a few words with them. Where out here you can't, you're not going to bump into anybody unless it's at a convention or something. So that's what really interested me about that idea is that we could sit down with these different filmmakers and actors and stuff and, um, you know, talk, talk shop, you know what I mean? And get some advice and, 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 you know, uh, that, that was the fun part about B documentary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really didn't even know there was like so many uh, filmmakers around Boston until actually, I think when I had Paul McElarney on the show, and then you start inviting me to some things and I start, you know, then you start meeting other people and uh, yeah. then it's like, wow, there's a lot of people out there doing things. And it's cool how everyone, uh, for the most part, kind of works together. There'll be like someone who, like a Paul who would make his own movies and he'd be an actor and, you know, in a lot of other people's yeah. movies. And I kind of like that aspect of it, too, that everyone, uh, you know, has uh, different roles in it. They, they actually like helping people, helping each other out. Yeah, it's a community thing, you know. I think that independent filmmakers is just like you're, you know, like a like a horror fan where you you have a love for a specialized type thing that not a lot of people get down with, and when you do find those people that do it, you know, and it's fun. Everybody makes movies because they want to make movies. So like, when you get to meet those other people that do it, then you get to go on and you know where you know help them out, and it's a supportive thing, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's, it's good like the support is what keeps what keeps the whole spirit of it alive because you know nobody really has the money to compete with the bigger films and stuff so when when you go out set out to make a movie like you need to you need to have those people that'll come out and dedicate their time to your project and stuff and support it when when you're releasing it they'll be sharing it for you you know and showing up to your screenings and you know, helping you get the word out there. Like, it's a very important thing, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, definitely. And I will mention, uh, I don't know if you know Sam, Sam Vanavray, but I just uh, did a small part in his uh, new movie coming out, Bad Cop Art. Uh, bad like bad, uh, bad Art Cops, I'm sorry, which uh, is an amazing uh, title and movie. Yeah. So I just I'm wanted to give him a shout out because he was a cool guy and invited me to be yeah. in the movie, so... He has an eye for well, talent. I was just hoping I, mean, I did absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm keeping in. Uh, when that comes out, I want to go check it out. I like the picture with you. It's very nice, and I like the Facebook page. I'm doing my part, supporting. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I get this awesome. gun. So it's very exciting. <laughs> so, uh, what are you working on currently? Uh, currently, I'm working on my next feature film. Uh, it's like a horror movie, more of like a, it's more of a ghost story than your blood and guts type horror movie. It's based off of um, the Hockamock Swamp, which is located in the Bridgewater Triangle, which is an area over by my neck of the woods um, that's, uh, you know, haunted, you know, dare I say haunted. And um, um, it, it focuses on a group of friends that kind of, they're going on one last hurrah together, one last trip. And they end up in this um, in this 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 forest that um, is you know they're, they're all they're, they're, there's different there's different folklore uh, about certain things that have been seen there and they kind of incorporate into uh, the film without going too deep into it. Very cool. Well, so is that going to be a is that going to be a yeah. short or a feature? No, a feature. There'll be a feature, hour and a half, maybe a little longer. I learned my lesson with Insomniac, where like if I do, if I do a short, I don't think I will. Um, 
I don't think I'll go middle of the road. I think at this point on, I'll probably just do like feature films and, you know, small things for like Tony or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously the length is different. Yeah. But what, what are some of the differences when you uh, make a feature as opposed to a short that maybe you would, that's not obvious. Yeah. I consider shorts are kind of, they're fun, but they're kind of, they're like, they're like teasers and, and like, you know, you can get, depending on how long, how long it's going to be. Like if it was a, a thing with, with Tony, it'd be something like, you know, quick and fun, you know what I mean? Something that like a, a horror fan would get a taste for and enjoy it. And uh, hopefully, you know, look into, you know, other films that the filmmaker did, but with a feature film, it's a lot more work, obviously, because it's longer and stuff, and you need more locations and more cast and stuff. But those are those are the ones that you can really you can get behind and really build with the characters and the story and stuff. So like, it's um, you know, you can really tell that story. Uh, you're like people can get lost in them, like I said earlier. I really, really try and make films that people can kind of, you know, sink in and just watch and kind of go on a little bit of a journey with it with this film like i really uh it's based in 93 so i'm trying to like bring uh childhood back a little bit for some people and get them uh relatable with uh their friends and stuff and it's a movie kind of about friendship and such um but yeah it's just you know the more time you have to tell a film the better as long as you don't go too far. You know what I mean? Sure. Because that, uh, that attention spans a, a motherfucker. Yeah. Do you think part of doing uh, making shorts are to show people what you can do if you want to do a feature? Yeah. Um, I know people do that. They make a short and then they try and sell it around and pitch it around and say, well, if we had the money, we can make a bigger version of this. Which mm-hmm. uh, There's circumstances where that's worked out and stuff, but I, I, if, if, you know, and, sh- and, you know, you can show your style and stuff to everybody. I think it's more of a, it's a different strokes, different folks type thing where, mm-hmm. you know, each, everybody's different. And like, if they, you know, some people are perfectly happy with just making five minute shorts, you know what I mean? And more power to them. And it's, um, it's just that you got to kind of feel it out and see what, what, you know, what, what stories you want to tell and, you figure out the story and then you go from there on how long, you, you know, you need to, how long it's going to take to make it and whether it's going to be a shorter feature. And I think mm-hmm. it, uh, it should all, your, your length should be all based off of how the long story it, you itself. need to tell the story. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like just being like, well, I want to make a 10 minute short. Like I think, and then going from there is kind of like, yeah, I mean, it works for some people, but I feel it's more of a story. You got to have like some heart in there. Not to say that ten minute shorts don't have some heart, but like mm-hmm. you just kinda like I said, it's like an artistic thing. So you just kinda you figure out what you want it, the story you wanna tell and you lay it out and figure out, you know, where you wanna go with it and then uh, you know, write it out and make it and I don't think you uh I don't think you should I don't think you should limit yourself with time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, um, when you were saying like uh, you have to have a know a lot of uh, different hats or different, yeah. different hats to, uh, to, what are some of the some of the things that th- that you would think people might not uh, think of when they go into uh, making movies that you think that people should should know about? 
Uh, dealing with people is huge. I don't think people understand that. Like you need to be able to, you need to be able to know, know how to handle people because when you're on set, there's going to be different personalities and you almost need to know how to play with every personality to a degree where like you, what if somebody's upset, you got to be able to know how to calm them down. Uh-huh. Um, if somebody, you know, if they're acting or something, if they need, you got to be able to communicate with people, which is easier said than done sometimes because there's different personalities and like you, if you're directing somebody and you, you want a certain emotion out of somebody, you've got to be able to tap into them, um, to kind of how, how to get that across, you know what I mean? And I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people think about that element. I think that they just think, well, they're going to know what to do and it's written on the paper. So, you know, that, that's that type deal, but to get like a really, you know, and there's actors that can pop on on screen and just kind of do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think you know, you like people, certain people that are kind of just starting out. I don't think that they quite know themselves as actors yet to be able to do that. So like, and I think between an, an actor and a director is always a collaborative effort. Like, it can't just be the director being like, this is how it is, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, do it this way. Because the actor's an artist, too, and they're going to want to get their art out there, too. And it's a collaborative thing where they both got to mesh and really kind of create that character together. And people, I don't see a lot of that. Like, I don't see a lot of when people do, like... I don't see a lot of building between, you know, actor and director. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of like what's written on the paper and just kind of, you know, go for kind of, you know, this is the feel that we're going for. And then there's that. But I think people should get a little more, you know, into it, into the meat and, meat and, uh, meat and bones of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what, it's difficult. What, oh. mm-hmm. What's your yeah. favorite aspect of all the, uh, the creative process? the creative my creative process is probably like the directing part of it because you know it, it's the, the like the characters aren't done till the movie's over and you'll you'll create them kind of in the writing process and then during the you know, pre-production you'll get on the same page with the actor where you kind of build with them and then if you build it appropriately once on set you can hopefully be on the same page so if an actor is in that zone they could the input that they can add can be more of like a life feel that the character would do this because of what we talked about and that's when and when an actor gets to put input in like that that's when you're going to get the best performance because then they're proud of what they're doing you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like and then everybody can be proud and when everybody's kind of proud of what they're building then that's the way you get the best product. And I think in the, the real, when you're shooting it, that's the real molding of the scenes where, you know, <clears throat> you can, um, you can really like, uh, you know, you tie it all together. Yeah. I'd say that my directing the actual directing on set, because that's like the magic moment where like it, that's when it happens. It's like, you can write it and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. But when you're there on set, like that's what's going into the camera and that's what's going to be used. So that's kind of like the moment of truth time. You know what I yeah. mean? I think that comes through in, in movies. Cause I see a lot of screeners, obviously for, for the show. And sometimes mm-hmm. I watch something and it's like, clearly they're just kind of going through the motions to make something. And 
uh, it's not very interesting. But like, if you see a movie, even if it's not great, let's say you know, but if it's clear that like they're having a, either a good time or like you can mm-hmm. tell like they're really passionate about it, you overlook a lot of you can overlook a lot of like uh, maybe negatives or you know because it's low budget and all these things, uh, and yeah. th- that comes through. And like you have a good time watching it, and like you kind of root for the people to to do well, yeah. you know, within the movie. And I think that kind of stuff just comes through and it makes something better. Yeah, even if yeah, people, don't, even if you don't really get why it's come, you know, why you're having a good time watching, I think it comes through. Yeah, I mean, there's different types of films. Um, you know, if you're going for a more serious tone, you know, everything would have to be more tightened up. But if you were going for like a comedic thing or, or like you know, uh, you know, something that's more, um, you know, like uh, like with Groundhog, when we did Groundhog, it, it was you know they wrote a good script but there was a lot of like improv that he allowed and stuff and it was a fun it's a fun movie you know what i mean it's not a movie that if if you want to sit down and pick it apart you probably could but if you're going to sit down and just have fun with the film you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that that's the type of film that is you know what i mean and in a sense of that then yeah like uh it's an atmosphere where you know, the audience, the audience is going to have fun. Like you, the people in the film, you can kind of tell the people making the film are having fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to get a shout out here to Melissa Potter, your co-host on, uh, on shock yeah. treatment. And sharing the oh, show. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, how can people listen to shock treatment? Um, shock treatment is on nine ninety W B O B uh, dot com. We, uh, we, we, we record out of Rhode Island. Um, we usually, uh, Tuesday nights uh, from nine to 10. Um, it's off and on type built, but we have, if you go on the website, we have past episodes. We're just kind of starting out. I think there's maybe three or four episodes on there. And, um, we got a Facebook page as well. Shock treatment, with Mel and Maddie um, that people can check out. And we usually put all our episodes up there. Very cool. And I've known yeah. Melissa a while online. I don't think I've ever met her in person, but she seems very cool. How did you guys, uh, how long have you guys worked together? We've known each other for like a year, year and a half. Um, we got a mutual friend of ours, uh, Billy Coyne, special effects gentleman, introduced us. Uh, I think we have at uh I think I met her. She was working with him at uh he was doing Rock and Shock, I think, and she was like assisting him with that. And I met her there and then I really he did we did a Halloween event that that the Bill was doing that we uh he brought me on because I helped him do some makeup effects for uh it was like a big like uh somebody was having like a party. Uh, uh, Halloween themed party and like they had some loot so they were able to do they have all their friends over and it's like a big like big operation big production where like we paint up people and send them through and then do dances and weird stuff but she was also there as well and that was the first time I really got to talk to her and I expressed you know the idea of like how I always like wanted to kind of do like a podcast but you know, I never really had the time to sit down and figure out the nuts and bolts to it and stuff. And she addressed, she, you know, expressed that she um, wanted to do one too. And then I'd say like a, a couple months later after that, she hit me up and just said, Hey, you know, 
I, I uh, think we're going to move ahead and try and make this happen and ask me if I still want to do it. And I said, absolutely. And um, it went, uh, we went into shock treatment. But yeah, very Melissa's cool. awesome. Yeah, very cool. And so how can people follow you online? Online, they can follow yeah. me on uh, Boombastic Films uh, on Facebook or Matthew Fisher. They can hit me up on my direct page. Um, we get a YouTube page at Boombastic Media. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the, I don't really do the, we got a Twitter page, but I don't really get into Twitter that much. Yeah, I'm um, not a big fan of it. I know I should use it, but uh, I'm not a fan of the Twitter either. Yeah, it's a weird system, but people love it. Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, like Instagram. I never got into Instagram either, but people love that. <clears throat> yeah, I don't, um... I don't know all that stuff. Like it doesn't seem like you can really communicate very well. You just kind of throw a picture exactly. up there. Doesn't seem yeah. very. It just doesn't interest me very much. It's more I, for like the people that do the pitching the food and stuff. I think. Yeah, which I do sometimes too. I guess. But, uh, yeah, I like I should, your food. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much. Uh, I should I just get someone listen to the show. To all right, we'll do that sometime. I'm always up. <laughs> I'll be going to, uh, I think I'm going to the Phantom Gourmet Food Festival Saturday, but I'm always up oh, for any kind, of, uh, any kind of foodie thing. Go, go. Foodie and movies, and I'll go. That's another show right there. It is indeed. Ah, yeah, we just, I like that, foodies and movies. Yeah, we just sit around and eat and talk about movies. There we go. I'm, I'm down with that. Anytime you All guys right, want to do it, we'll do it. All right, foodie oh, yeah. and movies coming soon. <laughs> it was very cool to have you here, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Oh, man, I love that. Thank you guys very much.
All right, we're back here once again. It's without your head. I'm still nasty new. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big uh, thanks to Matthew Fisher. It's very cool to talk to him. Oh, super nice guy. I liked him a ton. Yeah. Uh, a little bit later on tonight, we're going to have uh, Emma Dark on. Very good. Good times. We talk about our time in uh, Fright Fright Fest, in her uh, movies. And things coming up, horror films, all kinds of stuff. Good, times. good, good. good. Uh, by the way, spread the head. We're bringing back the spread the head contest all this month. If you spread the head, all you do is share uh, the podcast, either before it happens, after it happens, share the show, whatever. Share without your head. Use the hashtag without your head, hashtag spread the head, so I can find it easily. I'm going to keep all the names. At the end of the month, we're going to give something out. Last show of the month. I think that might be next week. And this month, the prize prizes will be Misery and Night of the Seagulls on Blu-ray. Nice. Two winners will each win both. Oh, sweet. Can't beat that. That's sweet. Right? So share this show that you're listening to right now on the Facebook, <laughs> and Twitter, and the MySpace. I probably won't see it on MySpace. So if you share it on MySpace, just send me a link. Email me at withoutyourhead at gmail.com. That sounds good. Yes. All right. So we got some news here from our newsman, Chris Kane. Oh, always look forward to the news. Me too. Uh, Shudder may be interested in turning John Carpenter's 1987 cult classic Prince of Darkness into a television series. Mm. I, I wouldn't see any problems with that. Yeah. That's a, that's a weird one because um, I think it gets popular amongst uh, Carpenter fans, but it wasn't like a big success. Right. I I like the movie, though, personally. I do, too. I do, too. So in a way, that's a good one to do as opposed to something that everyone knows and loves. Because it's, it's true, you wouldn't piss you anyone kind of, off this one. Right. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. I like the idea. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Shudder. They have a lot of good content in there. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah, so I think that's a win-win, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So we got a Rob Zombie's <laughs> 13 Nights of Halloween. What is this? Let's see here. So Friday, October 19th, The Lords of Salem. Mm-hmm. The 20th, The Blair Witch Project. Nice. Which, uh, that's a movie that's got a lot of hate over the years, I think. Yeah, and I don't understand it. No need. I think a lot of people loved it at the time. Now I think it's cool to say, like, you hated it. Oh, okay. I love that movie. That movie yeah, I do blew th- my mind when we went to see it. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's a movie you can't... If you never if you never saw it before and you saw it now for the first time, I don't know how you'd feel about it. I think you kind of had to been there for all the uh, all the hubbub. Oh, you might be right about that. Not only that part, but then afterwards, so many movies copied it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you'd see it, and I think you'd see, oh, well, this is just another found footage movie. As opposed to, I know it's not the first one. I know Cannibal Holocaust is technically the first found footage movie. But it's really the first one of its kind. Yep, yep. But either way, I, I always dug it. Oh, me too. 
I don't know where this where this is being showed on HDNet. Like HDNet will be uh, showing this. Ah, uh, Sunday, Book of Shadows, The Blair Witch 2. Now, that's one I'm not a fan of. Uh, no. <laughs> that one doesn't quite fit in with the rest of them, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, October the 22nd, Monday, Zombie Strippers. Nice. Is that the one with Robert Englund? That's what I'm wondering, because that one's fun, but I thought that's like Zombies vs. Strippers. Maybe it is Zombie Strippers. I am not sure either. Uh, Tuesday, the fourth kind. Hmm. I'm not familiar with that one either. Uh, Wednesday, Pandorum, which I'm not familiar with either. Hmm. Thursday, Bubba Hotep. Fantastic. Nice. That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, Friday, the 26th, Evil Dead. Nice. Great movie. 27th, Natural Born Killers. Wow. My favorite Sunday, The Eye. Yeah, Jessica Alba. I'm, I'm not positive. Possible. Oh. 2008. Does that seem right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Monday. It's, the it's 20- a weird one. It's it's mm-hmm. not a bad movie. It's kind of a comedic one. I see. Monday the 28th. That was the I. I mean, sorry, that was Sunday. Monday the 29th. The Last House on the Left. The remake. Wow. A lot of people I, like that. I don't that think one. I've seen that one. I'm not really a big fan of it, honestly. Um, Tuesday the 30th, Angel Heart. Very good movie. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then uh, on uh, on Halloween itself, Flatliners. Whoa. <laughs> the original, not the remake. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. No, that sounds like a pretty good mix of things. Like, some yeah, they did. pretty weird. Yeah, they did mix it up a lot. Yeah. Yep, I'll give him props for that. Now, did he choose these, or...? I believe so. I think they're oh, his, nice. his favorites. So, let's see here. Where am I? Sci-Fi's 31 Days of Halloween. So, you got all kinds of cool stuff coming up, which we will actually be doing some interviews here on the show for Sci-Fi. Nice. Uh, like in 31 Days of Halloween. So, we got season premieres of Z Nation, which I had to catch up on, because I actually really liked the first season. Yep, yep, and I lost track of it too. Uh, Van Helsing, which I've never watched. I didn't even realize this was a show. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it either. Channel Zero, which I absolutely love, but each season's oh, totally Channel different. Channel Zero is awesome. Looking forward to that. The Dream Door is this year's. Uh, new original films, No Escape Room. I'm pretty sure we talked about these last week. Killer High, Dead in the Water. And uh, oh, okay. Kukoi the Boogeyman. Yep, yep. Because that one kind of intrigued me, too. Yeah, then a bunch of uh, cool uh, favorite horror films will be on there. So uh, every day, all 31 days of October, sci-fi's 31 days of Halloween. Nice. Maybe we'll do well, 31 days of Without Your Head here, and every night I'll play a classic interview. That would be awesome, dude. That's a great idea. I agree. Coming up though, we gotta get out. We gotta get out. We gotta get some uh, prize package together because we got to have the costume contest. Oh my goodness! One of the things I always look forward to. Always love the the costume contest. Yes, if you're listening out there, if you'd want to donate a prize, uh, hook us up at without your head at gmail.com. It could be 
you know, uh, like if you if you're an independent musician, you could send in a CD. If you're uh, if you make movies, send in a DVD, a Blu-ray, a T-shirt, patch, buttons, any kind of promotion, posters, anything cool. Uh, if you have a, any type of horror-esque business and want to send something in, let us know. And then yep. not only will it be cool, we'll put up a banner for you for the the whole year. Yep. And if you're independently wealthy and you just want to send us a giant bag of money, we will accept exactly. that as well. Exactly. Well, all the prizes will be given out. So, you know, or except for the big bag of money. Bag, exactly. It'll go back into making stuff for the show, though. Sure. Ah, uh, see, according to a tweet from Mark Duplass, uh, Creep 3 is currently being written. Oh, I love the first two. Yeah. I did too. I actually had not seen the second one. I, I thought the first one was a really good movie, though. Yeah, the first one's great. The second one's really good too. So I'm glad I didn't spoil it because I almost did. Yeah, you son of a bitch. But I think yep. it's on. Uh, it was on um, on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there. I, yeah, that, that's where I saw them both. So it probably still is. I think. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I finished watching. Um, the Stephen King uh, Castle Rock. Oh, okay. On Hulu. And I gotta say, I was really into it for a while. I don't want to. Re- I don't want to spoil anything for Troyer because he's not seen, or other people probably haven't seen it yet. I do think it kind of gets a little repetitive. It's kind Is of it? a lot of the same kind of deal. And I don't want to say you know what's going on, but uh, I still liked it. But I really, I really didn't love it like a lot of people did. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I have to check this one out then. Yeah, you might like it better than me. I might not. You might not. It's very strange. I like weird stuff, but uh, I don't know. It's just for me, it was just a lot of the same kind of idea over and over. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We got some stuff here. Miramax, Miramax CEO Bill Block has hinted at things to come. During a Cineblend interview, when asked about the possibility of new Hellraiser and Scream films, he responded, Halloween was a Miramax license, and you'll see more of these coming from the studio. I will have some things to share with you. Uh, you mentioned something, uh, working on two things that we're working on. This is going to be part of the new program. Hmm. Interesting. I'm, I mean, I know some people are against more of whatever, but... Uh, I like to see more Halloweens. I would. I actually really like the last Hellraiser, so I'd like to see some more of those. Oh yeah, I don't see you know like having more of anything like is is always good. I think. Yeah, I'm not. I've never been a big Scream guy, so that. But I'm not gonna be like ah oh, fuck don't put out. <laughs> it doesn't really appeal to me, so I don't right, necessarily right. care if there's more Scream. But uh, I I like the I thought the last Hellraiser obviously Doug Bradley's not in it and Doug Bradley's amazing and he's pinned mm-hmm. I understand but I thought uh, Paul Taylor did a good job too the different take I like that the movie is so different it was you know it was like new ideas there so they're trying to do something with with Hellraiser and it also set up for for more films to come so I I liked I really liked the weirdness of the new Hellraiser yeah I think and any time you know. Especially if they're doing it without, you know, um, messing with the with the material, you know, mm-hmm. and you can tell that 
somebody has an actual love for the stuff, then I don't yeah. have any problem with people, yeah. you know, make it over and over again. And I, I really think it, it was one of the better sequels. I thought it was a lot better than like the last three or four of them. Was it? Yeah, the last two I thought were awful. Um, and even some before that were pretty bad. I, I thought it was interesting. I do think, but when I talked to um, the director, he explained why. Is I do think a lot of like the sexual elements are missing from it, mm-hmm. but apparently, like the studio doesn't want that. They want to focus more on the horror. So, oh, okay. So you can't do that, but it is a big part of Hellraiser. So it's kind, it's kind of odd, but. I guess no matter who makes it, uh, like the, the, they just don't want that in there. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. it seems weird that it's okay to have like people puking blood and being people <laughs> being ripped apart, but like you can't have anything sexual. Yeah, that is a strange place to like. We draw the line at that. Uh, so they're rebooting a child's play, the reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strange to me because, from what I understand, they're still making sequels from the original movie in the in the original timeline of these movies, and planning like a series. So, why would you then just remake the original movie and have them like out at the same time? I just think that's oh, silly. That seems, yeah, that seems kind of senseless to me. And it says this one is going to follow. Now, I, the thing is, I really like this theme, usually it, Stranger Things, Summer of 84, where it's about the, the 80s kids and they fight, you know, something evil going around in town. I like that theme, but I think it's starting to, you know, you're kind of overdoing it. And I guess that's the idea for this new one. It's going to be a group of kids fighting you know, Chucky. But I oh. guess it makes sense if you're going to fight a living doll, if you're a bunch of yeah. kids. Yeah, that's true. You kind of need some kids, I think, at that point in time. They might be younger kids, though. At that, that one. Yeah, right, right. Like a like. I don't know why old. it has to be, you know, set in the eighties, though. Yeah, I don't know if it's. It doesn't say. Oh, easier, okay, but, all right. But kind of seems like they would be if if it's if it's trying to be like it in Stranger Things. Yeah. I just I mean, think how about doing like a new movies. group of kids, you know, like, hey, how about modern kids? Try that right. one for a change. Uh-huh. I guess the modern kids play with dolls, so I guess. I, I think so. Hmm. You get Chucky app. There you go. They don't have like a hands-on thing anymore. It's... <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's partly because they are popular 80s stuff and it's probably like a lot of people who grew up in the 80s now making movies right right yeah i understand that yeah it does it's starting to get you're right though it has run its course so yeah and it's weird because i like i pretty much all of that stuff i do like Mm -hmm. i could see it like starting to get run to the ground eventually oh yeah yeah it's bound to happen I think in twenty years, like people who grew up now who make up who make movies about culture of today, it's gonna be about everyone into eighties nostalgia. Yeah. That will be the that will be the nostalgia of the Oh, okay. So I see. I see. So like the two thousand fifteen and up and it's like, yep, we just talk about the eighties basically. Mm-hmm. Rubik's Cube, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, exactly. Uh, my, my nephews have Rubik's Cube, so yeah, really? I can see that. Yep, 
Mm. Everything old is new again. Yeah. Whatever happened to like the Rubik's Pyramid and stuff? Oh, they have crazy ones now, Neil. They have like one of the ones we got uh, Ryan for for Christmas. I think has sixteen cubes on each side. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's massive, and the blocks are teeny, and it looks like it would be completely impossible to do. Man, that's like, why? Hey, we're talking about Hellraiser. Why not? Uh, a uh, Rubik's Cube Hellraiser box. Oh, I like that. Let's then we make that. That'd be pretty sweet. Yep. So you could you could figure it out. Put some like hooks on it or something. <laughs> That's true. You make it a little dangerous. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The Chiodo Brothers are uh, recently at, at, at Son of Montpalooza during a Q and A. Uh, they were talking about a possibility of a sequel to Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Whoa. They waited long enough. Well, apparently there was a bunch of illegal uh, oh. they had to get. So I don't know what happened there. But, you know, that's a movie that seems like really gained a popularity. I remember being really cult like when I was like, younger. Not oh, as yeah. a kid, but. I see a lot of people talking about it and making, like, you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space patches and shirts. Huh. I didn't realize it would be, like, that popular. Yeah. yeah I didn't either until it just seems like everyone loves it recently. No. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Like, I have nothing against it. It's just, you know, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites either. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it since I was since I was very little. I should go back and, and check it out. I like the I always like the looks of the clowns, but I remember yeah. honestly not being into the movie. But maybe I'd like it better now. That's true. Maybe I should give it another chance too. Maybe there's more to it than I'm giving it credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Netflix has a horror movie Apostle coming out. Ooh. And uh, people are saying it's, uh, it's a, due to the horror revival. So uh, let's see here. In 1905, a drifter has on a dangerous mission to rescue his kidnapped sister tangles with a sinister religious cult on an isolated island. Hmm. All right. I'm sold. I did that. Yeah. Right. Anyone in it Check that it we know or anything? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know of anywhere. Uh, uh, also coming to Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's loosely based off the 1959 horror novel. Loosely based, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Does that mean? I know, exactly. We'll find out. There's been a lot of uh, haunted house movies lately. I'm not That's always true. big on them. I know. Usually, you're more like not into the haunted houses than in. Yeah, there's something. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I think just like doors opening and little shadows walk around corners. It just doesn't really excite me. Yeah. I, I if it's a ha- that. I like like a more visceral haunt. Like I like a. Um, like Hell House, yeah, something where you you see it's all it's all out there. It's like ah, yeah. you know, madness. I did like Insidious a lot. 
Yeah. Yep. Uh, Blue Mouse Television and Hulu's Into the Dark anthology first episode of The Body premieres on October 5th. Hmm. Tell me more. The first installment is about a sophisticated hitman with a cynical view on modern society. Finds his work made more difficult when he is to transport a body in Halloween night. But everyone is enamored by what they think is his killer costume. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I'm always, always good with, you know, a new series or anthology or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. What is uh, Hellfest is opening? We saw Bloodfest. It's almost the same name. It looks <laughs> like the same I, the same movie, only it's a it's like a serious take on Bloodfest. There has to yeah. be some story here. I know. Like if if they took the same script and gave it to two different studios and said, "Make this movie," and mm. you know because. Uh, right down to like the trailer looked the same. Mm-hmm. So I either somebody from one studio or the other, like just stole the script and ran over to another place mm-hmm. or something happened because I don't see how you make like two almost identical looking movies. Somebody has to explain this to us. Yeah, I think there's some, there's something going. There's some type of shenanigans. Yes, yes, I agree. And I love Bloodfest. So, and this, yeah. I'm not saying Hellfest is bad, but right, it does. It seems like a, I don't want to say generic, but it does seem like a more, <clears throat> like a more widely appealing version of Bloodfest. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blood that flesh, yeah, Bloodfest. I thought was like. Really original and clever. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really dug it too. So I hope this isn't just like a ripoff. It's very sad. I know. And then the saddest thing would be if it would be reversed. If That's like true. the other one was actually a ripoff of this one, but they got their movie out first. Yeah. Then it would be really, you know, like, oh man, that sucks. Mm-hmm. So well, we talked about this off the air, but a death kiss is coming out, and it's got uh, basic. It's got a, a man who looks exactly like Charles Bronson, like mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I wonder if he had like cosmetic surgery, or if it was just mm-hmm. one of those freakish things that he just happened to look like Bronson. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe Bronson faked his own death and he's come back. I could be. He and came he didn't back as, yeah, he came back as he, you know, looked in like 1973 or something. Uh-huh. Maybe he's a doppelganger. Could be. Could be. He might be uh, the Mexican bag man there. It's very true. He taken over Bronson's like mm-hmm. body. It's uh, by Rene Perez, who we've had on the show, and he's a member of the uh, Without Your Head community. It's very cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing this, and I may or may not have the screener. So by next week, uh, we may be able to talk about it. Sure. Oh, okay, coolness. <clears throat> Maybe we can get the man on. That would be awesome. I would love to talk to him. Yeah, me as well. Me as well. So uh, anything else uh, going on in your world, Mister Troy? Um, let me see. Well, you and I went to see the uh, the Predator. 
Predator, yeah. And I, I went in thinking I was going to hate it. Yep. And I saw a lot of hate of it. And I had a great time from beginning to end. Me too. Me too. I, I enjoyed the shit out of that movie. Like, I my expectations were real low until the day we went to see it. And then I looked up a trailer for it. And I saw the R-rated trailer. And it made it look much more appealing. And that was more of the movie that we saw. Because mm-hmm. um, it was like... It was very funny. They had a very comedic cast, like a lot of dark humor, and then like crazy action. I mean, mm-hmm. the the predator himself kills like dozens of people, maybe hundreds of people. I don't know. Like there's there's a crazy body count, a lot of gruesome kill scenes. Mm-hmm. I I just really really enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. It was it was yep. very fun, and it wasn't. Kiddish, it was, it was no. crazy violent and kind of weird. And it's <laughs> like they have like a kid just witnessing violence, and it's which I think some people might like, hey, what the hell's going But <laughs> I, I just loved it. It was we we were at we saw at the theater pub, so we mm. and we were only people there, so we could kind of talk. We could, we were foodies and movies. We just sat that's there, it exactly, ate a bunch of food. Out. Yep. Yeah, that was a great time. I highly recommend it. Yep, I I agree. Like if if your expect expectations are low, but you still think, well, I'd like to see like a good action movie with like all kinds of blood and gore and violence and just crazy mm-hmm. stuff happening, and, and like you said, autistic kids watching like really really crazy brutal shit happening uh-huh. like not to give anything away but there there is a scene where like the meanest man on halloween throws something at a little autistic kid uh-huh. and gets blown to fucking smithereens yeah it's pretty it's classic it was great it was cool because i i was watching i was like man this kid's voice sounds very familiar and i I thought, like, oh, I think he's the kid from Wonder, because I saw it on the plane ride back mm. from uh, Freight Fest. And it's a good movie for people out there. It's about, you know, a kid who's got physical deformities. And, you know, it's a dramatic movie. It's just a nice movie. And uh, and so I looked up quick on my phone, and it was him. And what's very funny about this, in Wonder, even in the posters, is if he wears like, an astronaut mask. Mm-hmm. And this kid, at some point in this movie, dons the... Uh, the predator mask and i thought is that like a little ode to wonder <laughs> it could be Pretty sweet yeah or maybe that's in that kid's contract like i always want to wear a mask and it could in, be in the movie we'll find <laughs> out like because i think he might have a long career because i don't know how old he is but he's like really a good actor you know yeah he's very good he was really good in uh and wonder and i think he was like only 11 wow so that's cool like he might be like you know one of the future actors to watch out for. Yeah. So uh, they're filming Zombieland 2 in January. Wow. That'll be fun. Yep. And, and uh, Warwick Davis says that Willow 2 is going to happen. <laughs> what? I mean, I always loved Willow, but it, it mm. wasn't a hit. No. That so was, what, very 30 weird. years ago? Yeah, what a weird movie to do a sequel of. I'd be I'd be for it, but I don't know yeah. who the audience is for it besides no, me. No, 
because I I don't think it was a hit, and I you know, what's um. I remember people really hating it at the time. Warwick Davis. Well, him yeah. and um, oh, the guy that was I, in Tombstone and the Doors and oh, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. I wonder if he'll like make the scene. Kind of hope not. I hope not too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I remember people. I never understood the one thing people used to say where it was like a copy of Star Wars. Oh, really? Yeah, I, they said get, it was just... I don't get that one. I just remember the monsters weren't like too overly cool in it. Yeah, I don't know. I really dug it. But I, I know I enjoyed it too. But it was it was during that like you know those weird fantasy movies of the eighties that like mm-hmm. I I liked a lot of them. But all of them were pretty flawed. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember, I think you liked a lot of the ones more than I did. You know, like, um, oh. Well, I love so, Willow. Well, Willow, um, what was the other one, though? The, the one with Tom Cruise. Oh, Legend? Legend, yeah. I've never been a big fan of Legend. Oh, all right. You weren't the one. No, I think B likes it. And Annabelle was a big fan. Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe it's a chick flick then. Yeah, I've never, I never got into it. And then there were those weird ones like Crawl and. Uh... And I love Crawl. I know that's it was a huge disaster, but I think <laughs> Crawl's awesome. And what was the was one like with sword. the Muppets? The. Uh, oh. The Dark Crystal. Yeah, I like the Dark Crystal a lot. But there, there was the, like a I love the never-ending. I love the never-ending story. Oh yeah, never-ending story is really good. I like it. Sword and the Sorcerer is really good. Yeah, I love that one. I always wanted to do a Sword and Sorcery month on the show. That'd be awesome. Get some like eighties uh, people. Hey, on. I would love you, it. You get the guy. Oh, what was it? Lee Horsley. He was like the main star of that one. Okay, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, a uh, former guest for Richard Stanley is the man. Uh, he's his movie, uh, The Color Out of Space, will be filming soon. Is that a Lovecraft thing? Yes. Nice. So, I'm uh, very excited about this. Oh, cool. I think that's the one like uh, with like alien bugs. Oh, nice. I think so. Yeah, he's been wanting to make it for a long time. He's a huge fan of uh, Lovecraft. Nice. And I'd love to see him make like a comeback. He's made a movie for a while. I'd love to see him have a big comeback film. Oh, hell yeah. No, I wish him all the best on that one. Yeah. Coolness. So people are up in arms because Venom is going to get PG-13 instead of R. God, no. Not that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I my, uh, my hopes are low on this movie. I And I, I love Tom Hardy. I, uh-huh. I think he's one of the best actors going. I agree. But this movie, I'll probably go see it, but my expectations are so low that if it if it's any good at all, I'll be shocked. Yeah, I don't think it looks good. I think it's weird that you even make a Venom movie where he isn't introduced first in a Spider-Man. Right. Where it's just Venom. So he, so it's got no tie at all. Like, he doesn't... He just goes right to Eddie Brock. 
He'd never. I guess so. It looks like it might not even be in like an alien. Like from the ads, it looks like it might be something that like scientists create. I, I don't really know. Yeah. Like it, he looks cool as the Venom, I guess. Yeah. But it doesn't look like a good movie. No, I don't even like like Venom's voice when it's talking in his head and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's kind of corny. Yeah. I don't know. But like I said, maybe, maybe it'll surprise me, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. That one looks uh, kind of crappy. Joaquin Phoenix, uh, some some pictures uh, leaked out of him as the uh, the Joker. Yeah, that one I'm kind of intrigued by. That I, I thought it looked cool, personally. Yeah. And he's a guy I definitely could see, like, pulling off a Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which will be much, neat. Yeah, he's a good actor. Yep. So I know he doesn't have the face paint, but it's like a it's like an origin story of the Joker. Right, right. Which I know is a little weird, because the idea is the Joker doesn't have... He has multiple origins, because, like, he's, he lies and stuff. So mm. I could see that being kind of lame to actually have, like, a definitive origin. But it's. I think. I. I think it's a good guy to be in a movie, though. Oh yeah. Joker. Yep, I agree. I think he can pull it off. So th- that'll be interesting. I think. Then you caught the trailer for uh, Captain Marvel. That one. Yeah. Early next I thought it looked very good. It looks a lot better than the other Captain Marvel movie from the DC. <laughs> yes. Shazam movie. Yeah. So this one, like, I'm looking forward to. Although it's another one, Neil. They. I think it's set in the 80s, because did you see she's crashing through a blockbuster at the beginning of the trailer? Yeah, so probably either 80s or 90s. Yeah, maybe 90s. More of a 90s thing, but um, plus, like, you can't... If it was set right now, you'd have to include the timeline from the last Avengers movie. Right, right, and this is kind of like, you know, at the end of the last Avengers, if you watch through the credits, Mm -hmm. you'll see that Nick Fury, like, takes an old school like uh what the hell did you call those Neil the beeper things where the a pager right and calls somebody and then lights flash up and it's the Captain Marvel symbol mm-hmm. and so yeah so i guess this is her backstory before she makes the scene in in the next avengers movie mm-hmm. but one of the things that i definitely loved was when you watch the trailer there you see, like, she's with the Cree because there are blue-skinned people with her at one point in time. It's, mm-hmm. In the comic, that's, you know, how she gets her powers. And then, um, but then you see green aliens with pointed ears. So I think the Skrulls are finally coming to the MCU, which makes mm. me so happy. That's very cool. Yeah. So maybe, so, maybe, Neil, the Fantastic Four might be, you know, on the horizon. The FF might get the treatment that finally. they finally deserve. Yep. They've had some really shit. It's weird <laughs> because really, the really shit movie from, uh, from like the 90s is probably oh God, the best yeah. one. It is. How sad is that? The one made with like, you know, a billionth of the budget of the rest of them especially the newest one i don't think you've watched it neil and you have to watch it no i never did watch it you can't appreciate just how truly horrible that movie is until you watch it (laughs) 
And even that kid that that like is so good as um oh what is it Killmonger and um you know he's the villain in uh the Black Panther. Uh-huh. That Michael B Jordan kid. He uh he's the human torch in that one and whoa, he even sucks sucks hard in that movie. <laughs> Man. So do you remember the movie Killer Shrews from 1959. Yes, yes, I do. There is there is a sequel coming out now, The Return of the Killer Shrews. Wow! To be right, on video demand just, for Halloween. Did they just want to make like the biggest gap between uh, original and sequel? <laughs> Maybe someone's going to make a sequel to the Birth of Birth of the Nation. <laughs> About the clan today. <laughs> Birds of a Nation too. Ameri- making America great again. That's right. Only on um, Fathom Events. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, one of your favorite actresses in this. Who? John Schneider. From, uh, nice. <laughs> well, thanks to like the Sci-Fi Channel, though he's gotten like a new lease on life. I've, really? I've seen him, yeah. On, or maybe I'm thinking of Tom Wopat. Who's is he? The <laughs> blonde one? Yeah, Rick or John Schneider's the blonde one. Oh, okay. All right. Then, yeah, that's the one. Nobody knows whatever happened to poor Tom Wopat. Man, we should try to get him on the show. You should just just make sure he's okay. Yeah, that will just say we just want to make sure you're alive, man. You doing <laughs> Get all right? John, talk to you. You know, see how things are going. Get your sandwich. Uh, so I got to see Mandy, which um, if you're, it's got a limited release right now, so it's playing some places. Check like uh, if you're lucky enough to have it playing around you, because I do think if you get to see it on the big screen, it is pretty amazing. And uh, I loved it. It was really just a crazy movie. Um, it is very slow in the first hour or so. That mm-hmm. never bothers me, but it is a, a problem for some people. Then it just goes, you know, nuts. <laughs> so it's about like this weird cult who has this, uh, and the leader of the cult has this fascination for um, for Nicholas's Cage's girlfriend, Mandy. Okay. And so, you know, it's kind of like uh, they're well, basically, it's uh, about the kidnapping of Mandy um, and then Nicolas Cage going to uh, to get revenge. Hmm. And it's just a wild ass crazy movie. And it's very weird. Like there's scenes with like multiple planets <laughs> in the sky. And it's kind of almost like if someone like saw like a uh, like an 80s hair metal band, like they're like a cover, like mm-hmm. a cover from their album. And made a movie off of it. Whoa. All right. This, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. It's, just, it's very insane. And it's Nicolas Cage. It is most Nicolas Cage. Nice. And I think they're aware of this. And I, I dug it. So I highly recommend it. All right. That one I definitely would love to see. I wish it would be playing like, you know, a little bit. Uh, oh, sir. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to our uh, friends at Paul Bear Press. Uh, a 
friends of them from my conventions. I've got a bunch of patches from Paul Bear Press. Uh, they got some new shirts out, and they're awesome. They've got a, an amazing burning the burning t shirt. Whoa, which uh, I love it. It's it's sweet. Uh, Driller Killer, amazing no. shirt. Yeah. Uh, let me go through some of these uh, Brundlefly shirt. My goodness. Very nice. Uh, an awesome red rum shirt. Just go to the, check out the website, Paul Bear Press. They got all kinds of wicked cool uh, Dracula AD, 72 AD shirt. No. You know, Hammer Film. Yeah. The Devil shirt. Wasn't that the last one with Christopher Lee as Dracula? I think he did one. Oh, it might be. I, th- I thought maybe he did one after. Oh, but maybe okay. not. I just watched the. Uh, it was a big part of the documentary, but I can't remember. Oh, okay. He might have. Then they brought in some other club to play him, right? Yeah, and then it just went to and hell. It died. Yeah. yeah. As well it should. Uh, the Pale Man shirt, which is the eyeballs in the palm of the hands guy. Nice. Pretty sweet Hills of Eye shirt. Wow. Very cool. A Spider Baby shirt, which I think I'm going to have to order. Get the fuck out. It's got Sid Haig one. on it. It's just oh, awesome. my God. The dog will hunt. Top <laughs> shirt. Nice. Dr. Butcher shirt. Wow, they were all over the place. Yeah. Oh, a really nice necromantic shirt. Oh, wow. And uh, several um, Count Orlock shirts from uh, Nosferatu. And they even have a Nosferatu shirt from the remake. No kidding. Which uh, is pretty sweet. I, I kind of love that movie, too. That's, yeah, that's a too. pretty wild movie. I'm not sure this movie. Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. Hmm. But, no, uh, that's not one I know, either. Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. Have you ever seen that one? No, I don't think I have. I like it. Is it a hammer flick, or? I'm not sure. Oh. I've heard of it. No, I don't know that one at all. Krampus shirt. Nice. This is Krampus. It's not, uh, you know, from a movie or anything. Uh-huh. Very nice. I think some of these ones I was looking at earlier already sold out. So check them out. I highly wow. recommend them. So sometimes they sell out fast on this? I think so, because I've got patches from them, and uh, I'd go there, then, like, the next time they'd be gone. So. Oh, okay. I dig it. A lot of cool stuff. Wow. So uh, here pretty soon, Troy, we're going to be talking to Emma Dark. Nice. That'll be good times. Absolutely. Coming up on the show, we've got a lot of cool guests coming up in October. Let's see here. we got Bill Duke from the original Predator. Awesome. You know what's amazing. funny, Neil? I just saw him on... Um... I think I told you about the show uh, on Netflix. They have this show. It's Hollywood um, Weapons, mm-hmm. and it's a former Green Beret, and he takes like um, you know different scenes from movies and TV shows, and then reenacts them and like you know with actual weapons to see if things mm-hmm. would really happen. Mm-hmm. And the show is great. I mean, like some of the things that actually can be done like kind of blew my mind. And then some of the things that couldn't be done, I guess, shouldn't be a surprise, but mm-hmm. you know, just, he tests out a lot of things and then they test out, um, 
the scene from the Predator when he takes Jesse's crazy gun, uh-huh. you know, the one from uh, from a helicopter, mm-hmm. and wipes out like all the the brush. And mm-hmm. they redo that. They they actually take one and uh, and shoot it at like all this uh, all these trees and shrubs and things to see if it would just clear it out like it does in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he makes the scene on that one, which was great because I hadn't seen him in years. Uh huh. Yeah, and he's in Mandy. Oh, is he? That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, the director of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and Stephen King's It, the miniseries, amongst a bunch of other stuff. Tommy Lee Wallace is going to come on. Oh, wow. That's going to be pretty sweet. Oh, I can't wait for that. That should be great. Yeah. And uh, next year, live on the show, uh, Justin Seaman, the director of The Barn, will be on the show. Nice. Which is a great uh, throwback retro uh, 80s horror movie. Set in Halloween, it's perfect for the show. Awesome. And David Maggot McDonough will also be here with us. Uh, the creator of Groundhog. Nice. Charlie Doug, which uh, our earlier guest Matthew was uh, the producer on. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. All right. So we're going to get uh, Emma Dark on here. And until next week, this was Nasty Neo. And this was Terrible Troy. Mm, and this is without your head. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't stop listening because Emma Dark is coming on. <laughs> Stay From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the Tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened! Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. Hi there, this is Barbie Wilde, and I'm best known for playing the female Cenobite in Hellbound Hellraiser 2, and for being the writer of The Venus Complex and Voices of the Damned. You're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by director, actor, Emma Dark. It's cool to have you here. Hello, it's lovely to be on. Yeah, I met you briefly at Fright Fest. You did, yes, with your giant cocktail. Right. <laughs> that was my second one. <laughs> it was the second one? Yeah, I had one previously, and then I told Barbie and uh, and uh, and Tim that uh, around the corner they had these half-price cocktails. And yeah. then, uh, that, that's why we all went back. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the biggest martini I've ever seen in my life. It's definitely the biggest one I, I've seen. So, uh, besides uh, uh, giant martinis, uh, what what was your experience like at Freight Fest? I thought it was brilliant. Um, it's the first time I've actually gone for two days. I've never done the full festival. 
Mm-hmm. And I usually just go for one day. But, um, yeah, I really wanted to go for two days this year, you know. Um, and it was great. Just really brilliant. I mean, you know, I always meet loads of people. I know there, meet new people like yourself. Mm-hmm. And watch loads of great films. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, great time. Yeah, it was my first time in London at all. But my first time at Freight Fest, and I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's brilliant. It's, well, it's a great place to visit, your first time in London. Yeah, yeah, I had a good time. All I had a good time in London itself. It was. I'd love, definitely like to go back. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Really nice <laughs> so city. What were some of the highlights, uh, movie wise, that you saw at Freight Fest? Um, the best movie that I watched, best fictional film, was A Young Man with High Potential. I don't know if you saw that one. I did not see that. Oh, uh, that was really good. Um, I kind of describe it as a romance with mm-hmm. kind of Jeffrey Dahmer thrown in. Mm. Well, that sounds very good. That sounds yeah. up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, there were some uncomfortable scenes in it. Um, but, you know, I think every good film's got to have some uncomfortable scenes, really. So, yeah, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And um, <laughs> one of the other great films I saw was um, Fright Fest of Dark Art of Cinema, which was by mm-hmm. a friend of mine, Chris Collier. And that was the documentary on Fright Fest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get to see that one either. Yeah, okay. It'll come out probably on DVD or something at some point. Yeah. Yeah, have you had a uh have you had a short or anything uh, at Freight Fest before? Sadly not. No. No. But you never know with the third yeah. short might get in, so. Right. Third time's the charm. Exactly. Third time lucky. Uh-huh. So how how did you get were you always a horror movie fan? Yes, yeah, ever since a kid, really. Um, the first horror film I watched, although it's, you can't really say it, it's not a straight-up horror film, it's more of a dark fantasy with, I think, quite strong horror elements, especially for a young kid, um, was Albert Pune's Sword and the Sorcerer. Okay. So, yeah, I thought that was absolutely great, and uh, I think it's near the, yeah, near the beginning, if you if you refresh your memory and watch that. It's, some, it's like quite heavy, the horror in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's been a while. Yeah, I, I think I was like five or something. Okay, and so your uh, your parents were always uh, cool with you watching horror movies. No, my dad right. picked it up accidentally. I think at the video store. Uh-huh. I think it wasn't eighteen at the time, but I just I like fantasy films and I always like dark things and stuff. Um, and I basically just picked that. I thought the cover was absolutely amazing, and I really wanted that film. And my dad rented that one for me so whether he was aware it was an 18 or not i don't know usually i wouldn't uh-huh. have been allowed anything like an 18 as a mm-hmm. child um but yeah my parents did switch it off halfway through when they realized <laughs> it wasn't a kid's film so yeah uh-huh. <laughs> sadly uh, so uh when did you decide like um <clears throat> this was something you'd want to do you'd want to make movies or be in movies yeah i mean i've always loved film but really deciding to be in film and make film. We're going back to about, I think it was 2013, when I started in a couple of music videos, because my background, I was actually an alternative model. Mm-hmm. And as you know, like a lot of times, people start out as models, then they kind of end up acting in something or other, and it sort of goes from there. So I was, I was in a Kim Wilde music video called Every Time I See You, I Go Wild, which was a horror music video, and probably uh-huh. the only horror music video that um, Kim's been in, as far as I'm aware. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I thought it was great, you know, real fun to do something that wasn't just kind of standing around, which is what modelling is, really. Uh, it's mm-hmm. fun, but it's just a lot of standing around and holding poses and things like that. 
So it was nice to do something, you know, actually animated. Mm-hmm. And then I went on from that to do some interviewing for a couple of um, sort of uh, news sites, like genre news sites uh, at a, a small mag. Mm-hmm. So I knew the people that ran these. And I ended up doing some interviews actually at Fright Fest. Yeah, for... I actually saw one when I was looking stuff up about you. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I did it for my friend with the magazine and for another friend with the horror site. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just ended up interviewing a load of filmmakers, as you do at a film festival. And um, and I kind of realised that they were like me, you know, they were starting out and maybe it was their first film and the quality of the work was absolutely amazing. And so for years, honestly, I mean, when I started modelling, I actually joined a meetup group as a, a photographer. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of been doing things behind the camera. And although it was great doing all the modeling stuff for years and everything, I really wanted to be more creative. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of an opportunity for me, you know, just to see other people doing this stuff and that it can be done. And I thought, right, then I'm going to make a film. And I did. Yeah. But, well, what was your first movie? Uh, well, actually, I made Island of the Blind Dead first, but that was never a serious short film. It turned out pretty good. But that was mm, just I like made, it. yeah, it was sort of made as a laugh. I didn't really, you know, put anything serious into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Season Night was my first serious short film and that was a lot of production and you know I had a lot of cast in that and um, I think quite a few d- days of shooting I think 10 or 11 days of shooting um, mm-hmm. you know not all full days uh, some half days and things but yeah that was really involved and really intense and sort of from start to finish all the festival circuit and everything like that it was about 18 months I was on that Mm-hmm. So, and that was when I kind of learned how uh, time consuming and expensive filmmaking could actually be. So, yeah. for for things like editing and, and knowing how to film, mm-hmm. and did you go to film school or was it uh, stuff you picked no. up, self taught? Self taught, just 100% self taught. The same with uh, the photography. I did, um, like, a, a, in school, you kind of have these. Um, I can't remember what they're called. They're like almost like little internships, one or two weeks. And mm-hmm. when I was um, in secondary school, I did like a little internship thing of two weeks at a photography studio. So that's mm-hmm. probably the only training that I really had. And then from there, I went uh, and did a, um, oh, goodness, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, it's when you get brain freeze. <laughs> but I did like a, I did a photography course after that. But I, I haven't done anything with uh, video or mm-hmm. you know direction or anything like that so that's kind of as far as it's gone and um yeah you know, i do have some art qualifications but they're not related to film so yeah that was mm-hmm. just learning really as i was going along are there similar uh things to still photography and you know uh in motion when you're doing video um yeah framing there is definitely with framing but i mean my two short films that that i consider my two serious short films i didn't shoot those <laughs> Okay. I had other people shoot those. Um, but I've I've done, uh, you can probably see on my Vimeo channel, lots of different little art pieces where I have shot those. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people that kind of get into DSLR filmmaking and things like that do come from a photography background. Mm-hmm. So I think when you know how to frame something, you start naturally translating that to video and, you know, the exposure and everything is kind of similar. And, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just the camera movements, really, and... I mean, obviously, direction and stuff is separate, but yeah. yeah, you can come from a photography background. 
Uh, I really like uh, the style of Seize the Night. Everything looked mm. looked good. Uh, yeah. I like the, the desaturation of black and white. Yeah, thank uh, you. What was like some of the inspirations for it? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious that there are things like Razor Blade, Smile Blade, Underworld, that kind of thing. So anything that's sort of vampiricy, werewolfy, you know, kind of a modern sort of slick thing where everyone's wearing leather and got guns and um, lots of fighting and things like that. So that was the kind of, um, you know, the kind of inspirations I was trying to take on board there and trying to make mm-hmm. something on considerably less budget. Um, mm-hmm. as close as I could to that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, speaking of budget, because uh, not to spoil, it, but the end, you know, has uh, a lot of effects there. So, uh, yeah. so how, how did you make that, and how did you go about uh, getting the ending? Yeah, well, obviously, I didn't blow up um, part <laughs> of the, the right. Thames Barrier. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, a chap called Davy Simmons. So he's a VFX artist. So. What I did is I just basically had a, um, a locked-off shot, which is basically just uh, lock off a shot on a tripod, so nothing's moving. It's all stationary. And mm. I think I filmed for about a minute, sent him that clip, and literally everything else he did in post, mm-hmm. So, which is pretty amazing. You know, he put a lot of time and effort in. Um, yeah, and there are good. loads of effects in the film, actually, you don't see where he's done something. Like, um, uh, really, really uh, crazy things, like somebody had their... Uh, the underwear with, with Calvin Klein, and unfortunately, the label showed, and I didn't really want okay. a Calvin Klein kind of in the right. middle of a, a fight, so uh-huh. I had to kind of blend that out. And they're all strange little things like that he had to do, as well as all the big effects. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know how much time he put in, but it must have been a lot. And he did an absolutely fantastic job, and he's a really nice person as well. So, no goal. yeah, so uh, where did you shoot that? Um, it was mostly around London for the external shots, mm-hmm. and most of the internal stuff um, was actually in St Albans in Hertfordshire. So, which is where uh, one of my cinematographers, Donato Cinicolo, he actually uh, lives in Hertfordshire. So, it kind of made sense, really. You know, if he's carrying all the kit around, so we shot a lot of that there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, obviously for production value, the outdoor stuff was mainly in London. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you ever want to revisit uh, the characters? Um, I did want to at the time because I wanted to do something a bit longer, really. But, mm-hmm. you know, with short films, if if they go past a certain length, it's really difficult to get them played. So I ended up just doing that, although there's a lot crammed into that. And everyone's basically said, yeah, it looks like a pilot episode for something. Mm-hmm. And I did want to do more. Um but really, I, I want to move on to other projects, and that's why my, my next film is totally different. Mm-hmm. Well, what is your next film? Uh, Salient Minus 10. Mm-hmm. And that's doing the festival circuit at the minute, and that's a sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more art house. So it's, uh, whereas Season Night was kind of meant to look much more commercial, mm-hmm. Salient Minus 10 is much more of a um, sci-fi art house film. Mm-hmm. Although the horror elements in it are, I think, a lot stronger because um, I've got a sort of corpse that's kind of melted and rotting away and stuff like that. So uh-huh. I watched the trailer. I thought it was uh, all your stuff. Yeah. I, I really like uh, everything seems stylized, including yeah. the, the the blind trailer there, uh, which yeah. I like about it. Each of them look different, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I try to, when I've got a theme in mind for something that I want to kind of... Um, 
make something look like, you know, whether it's a, something shot in a period of time. So salient minus 10, I kind of wanted it to look quite 70s, um, even though obviously there's no way with a small budget I can really try and pass something off as being the 70s. So I just kind of wanted that more in some of the props and the cinematography and the kind of the way that I graded it so it all looked a little bit older. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, when I have a um, a vision for something, I try to make everything kind of fit with that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's probably why things look quite different from film to film. Mm. Where do you get the props? Are they stuff you make or do you go and find some old stuff? Yeah, some of it is basically um, kind of adapted from other things. So in um, Sadie at Minus 10, there's a gun. I think you can just barely see it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And that was like an old Sega game system gun. Okay. And yeah, basically one of the props people I had working on the film just um, chopped off the muzzle, mm-hmm. switched it around, repainted it, and like added another couple of bits on to make it look more like a ray gun. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, the original Sega gun itself looked completely retro. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like adapting things like that and. Um, the skeleton, which you can't see in the trailer, the uh, the sort of corpse, mm-hmm. that was a sort of cheap um, Halloween sort of skeleton, but then mm-hmm. with a much uh, higher quality sort of skull on the top that uh-huh. I borrowed, um, which obviously got the close up. So yeah. yeah, trying to keep things cheap, there was no point really buying a really expensive skeleton if it's going to be wearing a suit. Um, <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, like basically most of the props, trying to make them out of other things. Um, But when you do need something quite ad hoc, like um, in season eight, obviously, everyone's all the werewolves and vampires and stuff have got teeth. And Mm -hmm. those are made by a chap called Steve Bosworth. Um, Mm -hmm. He runs Hobby Effects. And those are all custom made from people's um, molds from their own teeth. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to get things done professionally, but other times you can adapt things that already exist to fit yeah is that comfortable wearing other fangs no not really <laughs> <laughs> no because they're full plate fangs which um actually i did notice uh and they do have them in films they're not just the clip-on sometimes they do have the clip-ons for hero mm-hmm. fangs but sometimes they do have the full plate and uh, i think if you watch blade the tv series they've mm-hmm. got some close-ups where you can see the full plates and they're basically the same kind of thing so yeah, they're going over all of your teeth at the front and all of them at the bottom. So they're quite um, quite awkward to wear, but they do look good. Mm-hmm. I like that uh, the werewolf was kind of done with, with the shadow. I thought that worked very well. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that wasn't really intentional. I basically just had to do that because um, one of the special effects guys said, oh, I've got a werewolf suit. I'll bring it along. It's amazing. It's really good. And mm-hmm. he brought it along and said, um, oh, I think it will, you know, It'll need to kind of hide in the shadows, though. And it did, because it was a good werewolf suit, but it mm-hmm. wasn't really like a hero suit. I mean, you couldn't really do a close-up of it or anything. Mm-hmm. So I did try to um, have the one of the cinematographers kind of light shadows and stuff, um, but it just, no, it looked like an old King Kong movie. So right. it, just, it just wasn't <laughs> working, you know. It just oh. wasn't working. So I said, all right, let's just do a full shadow. And we'll uh-huh. just have that, and I'll have to try and run with that. So that that bit in the film does confuse some people because they're not quite sure which um, which one of the whales is basically transformed. So mm-hmm. that's the only thing. It, it did cause a little bit of a continuity issue, but it, it was the best I could do with 
what we had at the time. So, yeah. When something like that comes up, is that fun or is it frustrating or both? Like, uh, if something doesn't work out the way you, you intended and then you kind of come up with a alternate way to do it. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I had much more of that kind of, you know, those issues on season night, to be honest, because of the amount of dialogue, cast locations, um, you know, all the special effects and stuff going on. So I did have to improvise quite a lot, really, if something didn't work at the time. And a lot of the time you go and you can scout a location, but you don't have time to do any test shooting on there or anything like that so you're literally testing on the day mm-hmm. um but with salient minus 10 i didn't really have any problems with that so mm-hmm. which was lucky sort of everything went to plan in terms mm-hmm. of what i wanted things to look like on film and yeah yeah do you uh do you write the stories too yeah well i did for salient minus 10 is all written by me including the screenplay mm-hmm. seize the night i co-wrote that with a screenwriter from virginia um, called Rick Humphreys so he's got the screenplay play credit on that and um, he's actually just released his first uh, novel mm-hmm. uh, Therium Red so if you want to check that out anybody yeah. listening yeah, yeah Rick's really good how, how does that how does that work doing a, a screenplay with someone from Virginia were they in England yeah. or did you guys do it over the, the internet no no it did we did it over the internet I had been talking to Rick for quite a while mm-hmm. and um that we'd been working on some other short bits and pieces that, I mean, either didn't work out, we couldn't get locations and stuff like that, or they were bits and pieces for other people that didn't work out. So um, kind of eventually we ended up doing this. And, yeah, I mean, I speak speak to Rick most days anyway. Uh Um, So, yeah, I've always got on really well collaborating with him, um, you know, from the other side of the world, basically. And yeah. Yeah, I actually got to meet him for the first time in real life last <laughs> year. And, you know, he was exactly the same as <laughs> all the years I've been chatting to him on the net. And, um, uh-huh. yeah, really nice person again. Yeah, It's a, it's weird how, uh, you know, nowadays you, you you can work with someone in, in another country. You know, it kind of yeah. seems it's, it's weird. Yeah, well, a lot of filmmakers I know, they, they have a story and they, they you know they start sort of writing drafting that out and they do get uh, a lot of time to screenwriters in the states to actually write the screenplay properly for them mm-hmm. so i don't know, it seems to be a trend maybe yeah. there are more screenwriters in the states i don't know <laughs> yeah i've noticed over the last few years that the shorts have uh, really uh, become popular um yeah why do you think that is, is it, uh, the rise of the festivals um no, actually, I think it's um, it, it. Well, I think shorts have always been at festivals, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's actually brands like Crypt TV that started playing shorts, mm-hmm. um, like on a regular basis on the internet. And then we've got uh, you know different brands like Dust um, and Scream Film Festival on uh, YouTube uh, doing short films and stuff. So I think they're kind of the popularity is rising. Mm-hmm. Um, because people are kind of making other people more aware of them, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and now there's a home form, because I think it used to be before, um, like, YouTube and places like that, where would they go mm-hmm. after they were at a festival? They would just kind of disappear. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, they did used to get little cinema runs, mm-hmm. um, you know, always obviously playing before a feature and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I don't really know if they do anymore. I mean, certainly not at mainstream cinemas, so... Mm-hmm. Yes, that or a compilation DVD usually. Right, or, or someone would 
put a bunch together to make like an anthology movie or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So where did the, the Salient Minus 10, where did the idea for it come from? Actually from a dream. <laughs> really? So That's yeah, I don't know whether a lot of people have this or whether it's just me. Um, but yeah, I kind of, this is, it's a weird thing that seems to happen to a lot of kind of ideas for me recently. I always kind of, you know, when you wake up and you're sort of half remembering a dream, Uh huh. it was like that. So basically I just remembered one scene and then I just built everything else around that. Mm-hmm. So, which is probably why it's a bit sort of bizarre and trippy. Um, but yeah, that's what I wanted. It is very art house. So. Yeah, I like that. Well, oddly enough, uh, Tim told me in England that uh, his book that he's writing is all based off dreams. Like it's oh, dreams really? that he has and he writes them okay. down. So that's yeah. uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Tim <laughs> sent me a short story actually, so I have to read that. Yeah, very cool. How did you How did you uh, know Tim? Um, I don't know actually. Somewhere. I can't remember who added who on Facebook. Uh-huh. And um, I think I might have actually been in the same place as Tim before actually meeting him, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, the first time I actually properly met him was at Fright Fest with you. Okay. So, yeah, but we've been on Facebook with each other for a while. Um, and I think he already knew the lead actor from my film, Salient Minus 10, Alan Austin. I mm-hmm. think he'd known him before for years. Um, not entirely yeah. sure, but they both worked on Star Wars films. So. Mm-hmm. If people don't know Alan Austin, you know, in your in your movie uh, from Empire Strikes Back, uh, how did he yeah. get involved? Um, well, basically, I did a open casting, but I'd met Alan like a we've gone to like a genre um, convention where we were both signing at that. And I'd mm-hmm. met him through that. And I think he just said I was chatting to him and he said he hadn't acted in a while. And I'd said, well, you know, you should try and act in some short films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then when I did the open casting, I just invited him to come along and audition for that, and he did. And yeah, I just at the end of the day, I thought he was the best, um, you know, candidate for that role. He mm-hmm. just did a great job in the audition, and I think yeah, he he basically was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to seeing. I saw uh, Eric Ellick yeah. does um, a lot yes. of your scores. Uh, yeah, did yeah. you? Is he somebody you knew before uh, you started working with him? No, um, and I still haven't met Eric, so hopefully okay. I will meet him at some point. Yeah, I'd like to come to LA at some point where he lives uh-huh. and catch up with him. Um, no, it was actually through his cousin, Damon Rickard. So Damon had had Eric do a score on his film when I was looking for a composer, and Damon recommended him. So that's mm-hmm. how I got in touch with him. But yeah, Eric's done quite a lot of short films, and um, I think about two or maybe even three feature films now. I'm not sure. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's really good. Yeah. So why the '70s feel for for Salient minus ten? I don't know. There's just like um, I have kind of different things that I like, and. Again, like that's I like a lot of kind of older um, horror and sci-fi, and I just really wanted mm. to do something that was in that kind of era. I mean, Island of the Blind Dead as well was that kind of era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just done a little piece of fake Super 8 millimeter with a friend. So uh-huh. I, I think maybe I've just got a thing about retro films. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I just think like there's a different quality, really to the footage mm-hmm. and um, the colours of the film and I don't know there's just something mm-hmm. charming about those kind of films in that era yeah. uh, definitely a different pacing too I'd say 
Uh, quite different, yeah. Definitely, I've, in general, a lot slower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, I personally like. So, I think so, yeah. Building up really well to something and a lot more kind of focus on the story than sort of scares and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, difficult at all to have like a story arc uh, in a short film? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's something I struggle with, really, because... I'm not really one of those people that can just do some some people can do a short film in five minutes where it's just they're just telling one small snippet of the story with a good like a great punchline at the end. I can't mm-hmm. do that. I think my mindset is almost like I want to create a feature but in a short film. So mm-hmm. yeah, I do find it difficult. Yeah. Are the plans to eventually do a feature? Yeah, well, yes, absolutely, because this year, I was contacted by two companies in Hollywood that basically review short films with the intent, obviously, to take on the filmmaker and turn those into features. So mm-hmm. whether anything ever comes out of that, I don't know. But it's one of these things where they watch a film and they, then they track it. So it's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was asked by another production company in the UK to submit projects for a feature. So there are two different ideas I've got um, for horror films. But I need to get the treatments finished, which has proved a little more difficult than I'd originally imagined. So um, uh-huh. just through various other things going on in life. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, they're still in development. But How about when you started to make the uh, the shorts themselves? What were, what were the difficulties uh, in getting them made that you didn't foresee? Oh, well, one one is budget. One is always budget. Um, and it doesn't really matter how much you raise, you still end up having to put money in. So if you're not prepared for that, I mean, luckily it was fine. I had the, had the money to put in for those two short films. But there are a lot of people that aren't prepared for that and projects go unfinished. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a big obstacle. And yeah, other things I was unprepared for, I would say with um, season night, I had to reshoot two scenes just because of running out of time. So when I reshot those scenes, I had to just kind of reorder the the day, the way things were going, um, you know, with getting people's makeup done and stuff like that. So that, um, you know, less time was wasted. So it's a big learning experience, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what have the festivals been like for you, having your films at festivals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, I think with Season Night, basically, with the first film, a first serious film, it was quite difficult to get it played. Mm-hmm. Um, it did get a lot of selections and a lot of sort of special screeners and stuff in the end, but it was quite difficult to get it um, played as a first film. With saying, I think it's been easier to get it played at festivals that kind of screen at cinemas and stuff like that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's played at some really great places. So its premiere was in uh, Sydney World and Leicester Square, where we were. Okay. The Fright Fest, but it was a different film festival there. Mm-hmm. But I think that's pretty amazing to play at, you know, Sydney World, yeah. Leicester Square. Um, and then it played uh, in the Genesis Cinema in East London for Dark Fest, which is a game was, I mean, that was a really massive cinema screen. Mm-hmm. And probably the, I mean, some festivals obviously I've not been able to attend, but probably the biggest audience that I've seen with it of about 200 people, which is good for a short film. Mm-hmm. And then it's played at quite a few in the States and yeah, I think it's done really well, you know, mm-hmm. for, yeah. Well, what's that like uh, to watch your film with, uh, with an audience? 
Um, it's interesting. I always try and stand nearer the back if I can, because you see people's reactions and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. And trying, you know, if they don't know who you are, then obviously you can kind of hang right, around and just listen to what in, other right. people are saying without them sort of, you know, just telling you all the positive things. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I did act in both of my films as well, but thankfully mm. in um, Salient, I'm not in it that much and I don't actually talk. I just talk telepathically in it. So <laughs> I'm not too worried about having to keep watching my acting performance. But with Season Night, I did um, deliver quite a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's, you know, sometimes when I'm watching out with an audience and there's a bit that I'm cringing at, mm-hmm. you know, then that's, it can get a bit embarrassing. So, well, if you do move on to, uh, or when you do move on to feature, uh, do you plan mm-hmm. on being in the feature or would you prefer to, um, for a feature, just be the director? I think, to be honest, I should be in it, but mm-hmm. I don't have to play like a lead role or something like that. Sure. You know, I think it's a bit like, um, you know, when you see the Soskas in American Mary. Mm hmm. Because people kind of expect to see them in something, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And like Tarantino, you see him in a lot of films as well. So I think it's good to be in things. But I mean, I wouldn't just put myself in it and say, oh, I'm going to have the lead role because my film <laughs> right. directed it. You know, not uh-huh. do as good a performance as somebody else I could just basically bring on board to, to play that part. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if it's just a cameo or something, whatever, I will still be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the Saskia sisters. Um, what do you think of their yeah. films, and uh, are they an inspiration at all to you? Yeah, I think they're great. Um, you know, and I think basically they tried really hard for years to get out there, and mm-hmm. they did it, and they've done a great mm-hmm. job of it. You know, and they come across as really nice people, and they are very you know nice. supportive, and um, yeah, I, I think they've done really well for themselves. Mm-hmm. No, no. Cheap plug, former guest on the show. You can go back and oh, listen right. to my website. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> and uh, I saw you in Frankula, which, uh, what was that like? Because yeah. that has to be pretty cool, though, just to be in a movie with Carolyn Monroe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Caroline's a really, really nice person. Um, and uh, I think I'd met Caroline before Frankula, actually. Yeah, because I signed at a few conventions with her and uh, different things like that. And I'm friends with um, also one of her best friends, Jane, who's also her agent. And, um, yeah, it was lovely to work with Caroline. Judy as well, Judy Matheson. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great working with them. I, you know, I mean, I, from a little girl, I was watching Caroline and Sinbad and things like that and James Bond. Um, mm-hmm. It's strange because you, you don't really kind of imagine that when you're older, you'll mm-hmm. then be working directly with those people. So, yeah. That's gonna be, yeah, I would think that would be uh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that was fun. Exactly. Frankula was fun too. Uh, how yeah. how how did it how did it come about to be in Frankula? Um, uh, well, okay, so it's it's produced by uh, Stuart Morris of the Misty Moon Film Society, and I'm a patron of the arts for Stuart's society. And okay. So is Judy, and um, I think David Barry is as well. He played Frankie Abbott. Um, yeah, and then obviously Fenella Fielding did the voiceover at one point in there as well, and she was the queen of Misty Moon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of all kind of related to Misty Moon. So that's how come I got involved with that. What's Misty Moon? Um, well, mainly Stuart organises kind of small events where he has different stars. So it could be somebody like Caroline, or it could be mm-hmm. somebody from British TV, um, or it could be... Uh, you know, maybe an American film star, he gets them in and he has like a sort of a 
small venue with about up to about 40 people in the audience and they sort of do Q and A's and film showings and stuff like that. And then every year he runs a film festival as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. So what was it about uh, the blind dead movies that, uh, that interested yeah. you enough to, 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 to make your own version? Yeah. Well, um, the person I did that film with, they were probably a bit more into it than I was. Oh, okay. But I do think that, I think they're great films Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's quite interesting to have this concept of these Templar knights sort of moving at, you know, a pretty much a snail's pace, but they're still managing mm-hmm. to kill everybody. Um, uh-huh. Quite a unique idea for a zombie film, really, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, a film with the undead. So I'd created this costume, um, which you can see in the film, for, mm-hmm. I don't know, for fun, really, for this for the other filmmaker. <laughs> uh-huh. And... Yeah, he just ended up, um, we were supposed to just be doing a photo shoot and the camera that I had with me, because we were not in the UK, it was a, I mean, it's just a terrible um, consumer compact camera. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take very good photos, but the video's okay on it. It's Mm -hmm. only 720p. Um, And it just, you know, I didn't imagine that it would actually turn out as good as it actually looks. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the actual, that camera just seemed to make it look old naturally. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, um, all the other actors were local Amdram actors. Okay, I thought it really did capture like the feel of uh, of an older movie. Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, obviously, I, I did other things with it in post, and I did change the color slightly, but not sure. actually too much. Not as much as you think that I did. Uh-huh. And um, I did put some kind of a eight mil overlay on it, so you get all these scratches and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, and some light leaks, but really not as much as you probably think I've done to it. So, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, I want to mention Caroline Monroe. Uh, by the way, did you get to see the uh, the Hammer Horror uh, documentary at uh, Fright Fest? No, no, I didn't. No, unfortunately. Uh, all right, I did get to see that one. I, I recommend it. It was uh, yeah. Very okay, yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. So, uh, what are some of your favorite horror movies? Oh goodness. Um, I'm more into art house things these days. So do you know Lars von Trier's Antichrist? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like that. And um, yeah. His new movie moving. looks good too. I don't know if you've seen. Uh, yeah, I saw yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like American Psycho, but much grittier, doesn't it? In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah with a chap from 90210. So right. that'll be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Because I remember him in a completely different way to being a crazed killer. Uh Yeah, that looks great. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think what else at the minute. But I'm kind of into just art house stuff in general, like genre art house, so not necessarily horror. Mm -hmm. So there's a film called The Quiet Earth, which I don't know if you've heard of. It's a film from New Zealand. Really, really good. Um, It's sci-fi, but it's a dark Mm sci-fi. That's on my top ten list. Um, the Hunger with David Bowie really loved okay. that beautiful yeah. really beautiful film but again it's quite art housey so um, that's more kind of what I'm into these days mm-hmm. so uh, what are you working on right now? Uh, well it's yeah okay so I'm working on my two treatments which hopefully I'll get done at some point this year sure and um, also this uh, short little piece that I mean I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's one of my um, short films it's not like a budgeted thing that I've spent months and months working on it was 
sort of a just go down to the coast for a day and shoot a bunch of stuff and make something arty out of it. Um, and that's with a chap called Billy Chainsaw acting mm-hmm. in that. I don't know if you know Billy. He used to write for Bizarre Magazine and Kerrang! and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually interviewed at Fright Fest for a number of years as well. And so, yeah, he's acting in that, but it's just like a sort of really arty piece of fake Super 8 millimeter. Uh-huh. And um, unfortunately, I had to. This is when a mistake turns into something else. So I'd never had a problem with getting any dust on my sensor at all, my camera. Mm-hmm. I go down to Bright, all the way to Brighton, which is quite far. I can't just turn around and go home and, you know, clean my sensor. I get down there, I change the lens on my uh-huh. camera, and suddenly I've got two pieces of dust on my sensor. <laughs> and I've tried to, I've used the blower to try and get it off. You know, the camera's got a function where it kind of vibrates the inside the camera to get it off. And I don't know what was on this dust. It was obviously some kind of greasy dust. So I had these two spots on my sensor for everything that I shot. So oh, really man. the only way to, you know, and I had to just shoot. Like, otherwise the whole day would be wasted. Mm-hmm. So I just shot everything anyway. And I thought, okay, I have to make this look like it was supposed to be there. Right. So I've had to basically just really degrade the footage and make it look like Super 8. So. Uh-huh. I think it looks all right. It looks all right. And it's just very arty. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's got its own little horror element in it because we we turn up on the beach. And you know the um, wind turbines that you have for, uh, you know, sort of generating electricity? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're big here where I am on the Cape. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was one of these on the beach. And I noticed um, there was a seagull dead by the wind mm-hmm. turbine. It had been chopped in half by the turbine. Mm-hmm. So half of this seagull was kind of lying on the ground and the other half was sort of impaled on the top of this fence, uh-huh. um, which looked pretty gruesome. So right. that's made it into the film. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, as long, as, long yeah. as you didn't hurt the seagull, you might as well take no, it No, I didn't hurt the seagull. Right. No, no. <laughs> but I thought, OK, I'll film the seagull. I might look a bit strange filming the seagull, but I'll film it anyway. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, that's that film's little horror element. Mm-hmm. Well, um, since you mentioned sci-fi, uh, I pers- personally I like all genres of movies. I just like movies mm. in general. But well, w- what are some of your favorite science fiction movies? Um, okay, I have to try and think off the top of my head now because there's so many things I actually like. Yeah, a, I would it say is a hard question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say the quite uh, for sure is absolutely one of them. Um, something I watched recently was again another last one, Trier film, Melancholia which is kind of halfway between sci-fi and halfway between a drama, which is pretty good. Um, there are other things like Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, which is, I think, I don't know if it's from the late 60s or early 70s, I'm not sure. Um, that's really cool, about a astronaut that goes off into space and he thinks he's just kind of landed back on Earth and he hasn't, he's landed sort of on a mirror world. Um, mm. Star Trek Discovery, the latest... Um, Star Trek series, I thought that was fantastic. It also had its own sort of um, horror element in there as well. There was, I think it was the second episode was actually a bit like Event Horizon, I thought, um, with a sort of a massacre on a spaceship. So, and again, Event Horizon. Actually, I was uh, a props exhibition yesterday and saw one of the spacesuits from Event Horizon. Oh, wow. So that was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Where was that at? Um, it was at the B- the Odeon Cinema BFI IMAX in Waterloo. It's okay. for do you know PropStore.com. Apparently they've got a live auction. They do once you know one a year um, in the UK, 
mm-hmm. and yeah they had like a little exhibition you could go along for free get in there and see a load of stuff and it was yeah it was mostly like genre film stuff um there was a suit from alien there there was a uh, elijah woods chopped off head from sin city i took a picture of that <laughs> that's pretty um, sweet yeah, loads of Star Wars things and stuff as usual. There was a critter there, a really nice looking critter. Um, <laughs> I like critters. Uh, uh-huh. Blade's original uh, outfit from the first film. Oh, that's cool. Um, Catwoman's outfit. Uh, what else was there? I can't remember. There was loads of stuff, basically. Loads mm-hmm. of stuff. The Kurgan from um, Highlander. Yeah, loads of things. Oh, cool. So uh, I have to ask, what is it like though when you first? Now I guess there's several of them, but when you first saw yourself as a tattoo on someone, yeah, that was strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's quite a few out there now. I, I've lost count. I think it's five or six. I'm not hmm. sure. They seem to favour that one particular image though for some reason, and it's the most like disgusting, gruesome image of me <laughs> ever. Uh-huh. So, and the, I mean, all those photos for, were from a chap called Rick Jones of Horrify Me. Mm-hmm. he does kind of like horror portraiture um yeah and he he'd um done this whole set of me as a vampire and some of them are like really nice attractive pictures and mm-hmm. some he'd really affected in posts so that i look mm-hmm. absolutely hideous um <laughs> and yeah those are the ones that people keep using so uh-huh. yeah. yeah so about yeah. someone out there is listening uh, listening they want an emma dark tattoo you'd kind of prefer if it was a nicer one yeah somebody should get like a really glamorous looking one (laughs) i mean i've got so many um horror related modeling photos and stuff i've done somebody Mm -hmm. should do glamorous one in in rick's set as well there are some really nice glamorous looking ones but Mm -hmm. yeah they keep getting for these like really horrible ones (laughs) so these really scary ones which Uh are good but yeah and i liked um that somebody recently gave me snake eyes in one of the tattoos as well. <laughs> so I look a bit like I've come from from dust till dawn or something like that. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. Because you don't really have snake eyes, by the way. I don't know. Well, maybe no. I do. Maybe I've got contacts over for them. You just well, don't know. That's very true. That's true. They could be the real ones. Yeah. It could be. I could have come from V, maybe. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, which is more... Uh, it seems like uh, directing is probably the more... The thing you're most passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh did you um did that uh did that passion like uh intensify once you started to direct? Did you realize like this is something you really wanted to do? It did, yeah, because um I mean I, I love kind of all creativity and all aspects of art basically. Um and like I said, I used to come from a photography background and actually fine art. I used to do fine art portraiture. Um so yeah i mean i've always kind of done stuff like that but i think for me with the filmmaking there are so many different levels to things uh it's definitely not like an easy art form um you know it's much easier if i just got out a sheet of paper and started doing a portrait of somebody than you know spending 18 months doing a film but yeah i just find it really fun you know and it's another aspect of it which you don't really get with other art forms is you end up working as a team with people Mm-hmm. so and i really like that and I, I think i've formed some really strong bonds with the casting crew that i've used on both of those two films you know mm-hmm. and they're people that i'd like to carry on working with and you know hopefully when i'm funded properly for a film then you know they're people i'd like to keep you know bringing on board for you know properly funded films so 
What makes someone, um, in your opinion, someone you'd want to continue to work with? Because it could be like several things in my mind would be someone mm-hmm. you like, you just you get along with, uh, yeah. someone who's uh, good at their job. But, uh, but I, I like I would assume there could be someone you actually really get along with, but maybe it's not as good or very good at the job mm-hmm. that you don't get along with. So there would be like, mm-hmm. uh, what's like the mix there? I think actually the people that I've used across both um, films, mm-hmm. I do get along with them as well as them being very good at their job. And I mean, you, you can't, you have, you have to get along with people because, you know, it's indie film and it's tough mm-hmm. um, and people have to be on the same wavelength as you. At the same time, you want people to explore their own creativity because, you know, who's going to want to come onto somebody's project and, you know, just do exactly everything they say, you know, for a little benefit to themselves. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah. Um, so I like people to, you know, like it, say if I'm directing an actor, I don't want to tell them they've got to move their left arm and their right arm, you know, prescribe everything to them. I just tell right. them what I want and I, then I want them to go and interpret that because I think mm-hmm. I'm going to get the best performance that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the same with like Eric and the score. I just give him the inspirations and say, I want this kind of thing. I'm not there saying, oh, you need, I want this kind of drum at this bit. I want that and the next thing. I don't do that. Maybe some mm-hmm. people do. I don't know. But I think you have to let people explore their own creativity. Mm-hmm. So that's where, it, well, that's where it's important that those people are actually on the same wavelength as you, because if they're not, then you could, you know, get something totally different. So, um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I saw on your Instagram you had a picture with your mom with, uh, and she's got a, a gun from one of your movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So does she watch your? Does she watch your movies? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my parents, they both um, watch my films and they're kind of like really into it all now. When I first started, they were like, oh, yes, film. Yeah, you made a film sort of thing, you know, and just sort of <laughs> didn't think much of it. You know, oh, it's just another creative thing that Emma's done because they're used to it. So I've been creative ever since I was little. Mm-hmm. But I think when they realised that the films were actually getting played in some cool places and people were actually liking the films and taking note and stuff, I think they thought, OK, maybe these are actually really good then. So... You know, they're kind of more into it now, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my mom doesn't normally walk around with a gun, so. <laughs> well, that's very good. That's very good. <laughs> it's a lot more unusual, I think, there than it would be here. It's, some people might not think anything of it, I guess. If, uh, some yeah. In, in yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, I did wonder. I was like a bit like, mm, I was slightly dubious about putting it on Instagram. Cause I thought it was funny. Uh-huh. But I thought, oh, somebody might think I've got a real gun. No, which obviously is not, you know, the done thing in the UK because uh-huh. we don't have the same sort of gun laws and stuff. So I did put on there as a prop, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I think most people just found it funny. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, if, if I do a Fright Fest again, which, which I hope to do, I remember to stay closer to uh, the, the cinema because uh, I didn't know a lot about the UK. And so yeah. I rented a flat in Woolwich, which said it was 15 oh, okay. minutes from the from the heart of london but I, yeah. I don't know how they i don't know how they got there in 15 minutes it was, uh, it was it must yeah be very fast. no exactly and it, then you have to kind of think in london as well it depends on your transport route because sometimes trains are out and um you know or you have to wait between connections and stuff like that so mm-hmm. those are the kind of things you always have to take into account but yeah yeah i mean that's, that's still near it's still near where you stayed but you, you probably could have been nearer yeah, it was, took about an hour to get there. And then at night, sometimes, like you said, yeah. the, the train, something was a bus. But I still had a great time anyway. 
And yeah, Warwatch yourself yeah. was pretty fun to be around too. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Well, so how can people find you online? Um, yeah, yes, they can find me online. Yeah, so if they go to www.emmadark.com and then it's got all my social media links and stuff like that off of there. Or if they just go onto Google and they type in Emma Dark, it's probably going to come up with a bunch of stuff with either me or that lady from once. So she comes up in the <laughs> SEO as well. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but they will, yeah, they can just type that in Google and they find stuff to do with me. So they can mm-hmm. find their way back to my website or social media from there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It was very fun to talk to you. Yeah, it's lovely to talk to you as well. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. All right. I just actually, I'm just looking at your uh, at your Instagram, and I see uh, Graham Humphreys, and he's wearing the shirt that I wore this year at the uh, yes, breakfast. yes, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I noticed that straight away. But you both had them handmade, hadn't you? Uh, I have to admit, I don't know where uh, someone sent it to me. Listen to the show, but they did not include uh, their name, so I'm not sure who sent it oh. to me. But somebody listened okay. to the show, sent it to me, and. Uh, I love it. It's an amazing shirt. So I don't know if they made it yeah. themselves or if they got it from someone who made it or I don't know. Yeah. I wish yeah, you'd let me know. Have. Yeah. I think yeah. Graham got his hand made from somebody. So hmm. yeah, if anyone's yeah. listening, they, uh, if anyone wants to make me some more shirts, uh, I'd be totally into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's enough great material out there. So yeah. Yeah. You, I was thinking about learning myself. From Graham. He's got his whole, yeah, he's got a whole wardrobe full of different horror shirts, sci-fi I shirts, and all yeah, sorts. I, n- <laughs> I noticed some of you was wearing the fry. I was like, that's a pretty cool shirt. I thought we're... Yeah. <laughs> we weren't totally different sizes, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's a great shirt. That fabric's quite popular, so... Yeah. All right, well, it was great to have you here. And uh, next time you got something coming out, I'll have you back, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.